0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Zack Snyder just revealed that Batman drops an F-bomb in his new Justice League movie. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I think I prefer my Batman doing the Bat-toosie here on Big Squid. Welcome to our second last podcast for 2020, and we have another big one for you. We are going large for these last few podcasts. First up, I'll be reviewing Australian writer and artist Chris Gooch's excellent graphic novel, Under Earth. Rachel Melanta returns with spinoff to explain to me the living in a van phenomenon that's taking place on TikTok. And Ben Elwood and I finish our Christopher Nolan recaps with Tenet. I've been holding on to this one for a while and with the movie being released this week to buy and stream, it feels like the perfect time to finally dig into this movie. Spoiler alert, I loved it and I have some hot takes for you. Before we get to the show, a reminder for everyone in Adelaide that I will be performing my last gig for 2020 on the 18th of December, 7pm at the Rhino Room. I'm not going to the Adelaide Fringe next year, so this will be the last opportunity to see me perform in my hometown for a while. So if you're keen to come along, please head to adelaidecomedy.com to find your tickets. Also, a big thank you to everyone who either came to Giant Dwarf on Sunday or watched our live show online. We had a ball and we were wrapped with the numbers, which really built from our last show. We were very excited to see not only returning faces, but people bringing... Other friends and uh, family along to check it out. The great audience really inspired a fun show, and we don't take it for granted. So if you're keen to see our next live show, there's nothing on sale yet. We thought it's a bit rough to be putting stuff on sale at the end of the year in the lead up to Christmas. But you might want to pencil the 14th of February into your diary. I know, Valentine's Day. I'll tell you more about that in the new year. But let's just say it's going to be a touch of romance, Big Squid style. If you missed our live show, I will be closing out 2020 with that next week. And there'll be a little bit of stuff where I'll just have a chat to you personally around it. Uh, And then I'll keep you in the loop for what's going to happen in 2021 as well. I have some big ideas, but I'm really looking forward to having some downtime with family over the Christmas break, which will also allow me to recharge. God, I... really am feeling it at this time of the year. Are you feeling it? I'm sure you are. It has been exhausting, and I feel like it's all caught up with me, so a break is paramount. Now, if you're looking for a super cool Christmas present for people who like great storytelling, I had the pleasure of reading cartoonist Chris Gooch's new graphic novel, Under Earth. This story is set in an awful future where criminals are exiled deep below Melbourne's surface to live a life in a subterranean world that oozes toxic waste and the inhabitants have to scavenge to live some sort of life. It's not much of a life, but it's some sort of life. These criminals range from people who have committed petty theft to hardened killers, and in this world a hierarchy has settled between the cunning and the weak. We follow two stories in this world. First, there's Zoe and Elle who carry out dangerous jobs for a criminal overlord known as the Map King. The second story is about a man, Mountain of a man known as Malcolm, who takes a new prisoner called Reese under his wing and tries to help him find his place in this very scary world. Both stories run parallel and are incredibly exciting. There's a big job that must be carried out, that of course doesn't go quite to plan. There's a betrayal that leads to one person having to literally fight for their life, and Chris's artwork is amazing. His storytelling has a fluidity that has you turning the page, wanting to find out what happens next. To be honest, I was getting so into it, I had to kind of slow down, because I was skipping really quickly to the next part, and so I had to go back a few pages, slow my reading down so I could take in all of his beautiful art and let the story take place at the correct pace. But that's how good it is. You just want to know. You want to know what's going to happen next. The world these characters inhabit just reeks off the page. You'll find yourself scrunching up your nose at the smell that almost escapes from the artwork, and the expressions that each person pulls give you a sense of who they really are before their actions and words play out. I don't know if you've ever read 100 Bullets or Love and Rockets, but Chris's artwork sat somewhere between the expressionism of Eduardo Rizzo and the character work of... is it Jamie Hernandez, or is it Jaime Hernandez... I'm not quite certain. How funny. I think it might be Jaime. Anyway, uh, Jaime Hernandez, who did uh, beautiful work on Love and Rockets, and and Chris's artwork sits somewhere in between uh, both of them. That's what it reminded me of anyway. I don't really want to say too much about the graphic novel. I really loved it and I think you're better off knowing the broad strokes rather than any of the minutiae of the tale. I will say this is a graphic novel that tells a story about people making firm decisions to be the best they can be in dire circumstances. They make choices to empathize when they have to, and they do their best to learn from their mistakes. And that's what I loved about this graphic novel. It is incredibly exciting. It is graphic in certain aspects of the tale, and it races to a pitch-perfect conclusion, but there is a positivity to the story that reminds you that no matter the situation, you can make decisions that allow you to rise above your lot in life. Chris Gooch's Under Earth is a great read, and I will leave links for you at our Big Squid Facebook page so you can find out more about this wonderful graphic novel. I can't wait to see what Chris does next. Time to check in for the last time in 2020 with Rachel Melanta and her segment, Spinoff. I've really enjoyed chatting with Rachel this year and with her deep in another lockdown in Canada. Like, it really reminds you how lucky we are here in Australia to be in a situation where you have to be vigilant, but life feels pretty much normal. And you see what's going on overseas and to our friends in the UK and America and all over the world. Ah, It's really scary stuff and we have to be really appreciative of where we're at here. And as I said, Rachel's in another deep lockdown and I think she's done an excellent job of coming up with new ideas. She's been working on her segment and really uh, letting it breathe and progress and trying to find new ways into it. And I've just enjoyed having her keep me in the loop of what the young people are doing these days. This one is weird. (laughs) It takes me a while to get my head around it. And even then, I'm not entirely certain I fully understood this phenomenon. But also, that's half the fun. All right, let's bring in Rachel now. Making her final appearance for 2020. On this podcast, Uh, by the way, only because the podcast is coming to an end for this season. This is not me (laughs) in a terrible way saying, and you're done. Thank you very much.
2: You did pause after (laughs) appearance and I was like, her final appearance. This feels like something that could have used an email.
1: Yeah. Could have waited to, you know, say this before I started recording.
2: (laughs) What an awkward way to ditch me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You can clean out your desk at the end of the day. (laughs) <laughs> Which is ridiculous, because you're at home, and that is your desk, so you can do whatever you want with it so uh,
2: it's symbolic, you know I'll walk out with a cardboard box of my things
1: right, <laughs> and then get out to the front and think, Wait a minute, this is where I live.
2: <laughs> this is ridiculous
1: <laughs> no it would it's uh I kind of like doing this show in seasons, it kind of allows it to have a different flavor each time, and you know, considering the podcast was originally. Uh, covering uh, the Watchmen TV series and the graphic novel. Then the second series was about David Bowie's last album. Then this season has been this season. And maybe, the, the, I reckon maybe the doing a new season will allow me to change up little things. Like I'm starting to run out of cheesy one-liners to open the podcast with. Like they're hard work.
2: Yeah. Like, honestly, I did think that um, you would run out of that, but I really do feel you've got more in you, you know? Maybe they just need to get cheesier.
1: Well, people would be surprised how much effort goes into those openings that they probably only listen to for seven seconds. <laughs> way too much effort. Way too much effort. But it's especially as it gets towards the end of the year and you're thinking, oh, God, can I make another joke about Baby Yoda? Turns out I can.
2: You can. I believe yeah. in you.
1: Yeah. You, <laughs> uh, have you been watching that at all? Do you watch The Mandalorian?
2: I actually haven't. Um, right. I am a Star Wars person, but I've not watched Mandalorian at all.
1: Do you have the Disney app?
2: No, that's it. Right. That's why I don't, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not a Star Wars, a Wars person. Oh, What's that?
2: I had the 30-day trial of Disney+, Plus, but that's when it ran out. But I, um, when the new Star Wars like run began a few years back, yep. I was living in Piedmont right near the IMAX theatre. Oh and yeah. gets to the midnight premiere. And my friends said to me I was going with a group of girls and they all said look we'll cool, dress up for the midnight premiere. And I didn't get the memo that dress up meant go as sexy princess Leia. So I showed up and all my friends were sexy princess Leia. And I was dressed in a leotard and a helmet that I had painted myself as R2-D2. And I sat the entire movie in a helmet and three children asked for my photo.
1: Amazing. I feel like you win out of that.
2: Honestly, I really did. And they all were so embarrassed by me. Well, maybe you should tell me that that's what we're doing. I thought it was get really into it. So I think I looked fantastic between you and me. (laughs)
1: Were you potentially sexy R two D two for the and that's no. why the kids wanted photos? No, <laughs> that's a that's a definitive no.
2: <laughs> I no no not at all. Um, I once again I was wearing a helmet I had painted myself. Amazing! I do not have artistic talent.
1: <laughs> that's that's even more amazing. I love it.
2: Oh, uh, that's it. <laughs> but if, if, if they if they say
1: dress up, that says to me, you know, come as any character. You should say specifically, I'm or was it one of those things where maybe in hindsight, maybe each one turned up thinking they were going to be sexy Princess Leia? And then when they all turned up, they all just pretended that's what they'd planned. And it was actually a reverse embarrassment. So
2: I'm the only one with creativity. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry for having a bit of integrity in the dressing up movement. You know, I really yeah. can't. And yeah. yeah, I mean, is wearing a helmet for an entire three-hour movie comfortable? No, but I'm no. committed to the movement.
1: And... Yeah. We make all those mistakes when we're young. I once went to a fancy dress as uh, the devil and wore a mask for the night, and that seemed like a funny idea at the time, but uh, you're drinking booze with a straw and, you know, I will like, say my I... paws were clean at the end of it. <laughs>
2: It's like full face paint when um, I've done Halloween before and done like the full face paint. And it sounds like a great idea. But after about two hours, it's hot because Halloween's the end of October. You are sweating. It's all cracked. It looks awful. You've been drinking. So you have a nice rim around your mouth where like all the face paints come off. It's not a good idea for anyone and also then you have to try and take face paint off after a few drinks and that's not fun
1: oh great
2: wipes everywhere yeah
1: and then you wake up and you think did I have sex with a clown last night like what's (laughs) happened to my bed sheets this is a disaster (laughs) so what's what's going on in your world what's been happening uh with a spin-off
2: well spin-off this one I'm very excited for this one um first we're talking about tiktok today justin because great I'm cool. I'm down with kids. I know about the TikTok. (laughs) Well,
1: you're you're talking to a 48-year-old man, so I can't wait to (laughs) understand what the fuck a TikTok is. I understand it basically, and that's only through the people who post their stuff on Instagram from TikTok.
2: Yeah. No, I love TikTok. I don't – I'm quite new to TikTok. I only got it a few months ago, which I feel everyone – sort of my age did they kind of joined the millennials joined tiktok like during the pandemic but tiktok is essentially it's a social network site where it's video sharing so you have one minute videos and it's kind of different from other social media in that you can use other people's sounds other people's music other people's stuff basically and create your content over the top of it so Ah. you might have a quote or something from a snippet from a tv show and it'll be a back and forth funny audio and then you can reenact it or create a different scenario take it out of context there's also a lot of dance videos and they have dance trends so it's like i've choreographed this dance and everyone will copy that dance and like can you do this dance and they create trends that way
1: okay so
2: it's yeah, you only have one minute though. So it's quite snappy in that yeah. time.
1: So, uh, so you know, with the dancers, I've, this is something that I've always actually been curious about. Is literally everyone making up those dances, or are they following something?
2: Okay, they are, well, someone has originally made it up, like anything, you
1: know. Right.
2: So it's typically like a, someone who's actually a dancer often or anyone, like can just make it up. Other people like it and then they copy it. They'll take the music and they'll copy the dance. So I could literally right now, if I could dance, which I can't, do a dance and then you see that video and go, that's awesome. I'm going to do that dance as well. And then that's how a trend starts.
1: Right. Okay. So, so, so there's a lot of good dancers out there, I have to say.
2: <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's quite impressive. And some of the dances are very, very cool. Um, yeah. It is it is very impressive. And honestly, it is It's very um, community-based in a way, arguably other platforms sort of aren't. Like it's less influencer-based, I guess, like anyone's an influencer. You know, it's anyone can start a trend. As much as there are TikTok influencers, it's far more kind of community-based and things tend to snowball, which is both great and has negative effects. And that's why TikTok is a little bit controversial at the moment, as I'm sure people have seen in the news regarding Donald Trump trying to ban it. Um, because it is owned, it is a Chinese app. So right. there has been a bit of controversy regarding the collection of like data that's coming through, um, like all social media apps, they collect quite a bit of data. And they were saying, um, is this going to the Chinese government? And people have a lot of opinions about that. So Donald Trump declared it a national security threat and it's a whole thing. Um, but so then is, it, mm.
1: is it- Is it any- Different to Facebook, though. Like, nobody seemed to have an issue with Facebook up until recently where suddenly it's become, hang on a sec, what's going on?
2: Like, maybe I'm naive, but just in general, I'm somebody who's not massively worried about people collecting my data. But I I guess maybe that's naive um, because... And I think the worry is that, like, Facebook and that is owned predominantly by American companies, if not entirely, I think. I might be, yeah, it is. Mark Zuckerberg and that. But yeah. the, the issue seems to be far more that TikTok is owned by Chinese companies. Yeah. So it was the concept like, and everyone's a bit thingy, particularly in America, like Donald Trump was annoyed by that. Well, supposedly, however, there's been a lot of controversy there because it, the timing was very suspicious,
3: right. even though
2: there has been a lot of con- conversation about that. It was right after his Tulsa rally where no one showed up. And there was a huge amount of registrations from people on TikTok because a TikTok trend was started of basically registering to attend his Tulsa rally when you were not going to attend his
1: Tulsa rally. So
2: that's why he was like, in advance, he was at press conferences saying, we have millions of people registered. And then like five people and a dog showed up, you know?
1: Right. And that was an accident.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: just followed the dog and the dog was going wherever yeah. it wanted. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well that makes uh that makes sense. And so uh, the way I've kind of seen stuff is, you know, I like I'm a big NBA fan and I've seen uh, the basketballers like LeBron James does stuff with his kids and they do all these yeah. movements. So that's come from TikTok.
2: Yeah, TikTok is it's very um like it is Gen Z run, I guess, in general because it didn't actually become it was launched in 2016 but it didn't actually become like mainstream and um access like the us and australia canada until like late 2018 so it's quite new still it's only been around the last like couple of years and it's sort of taken off in the pandemic people have kind of gotten involved um so like people like me for example I love TikTok. I'm on TikTok, but I don't post anything on TikTok. I just watch everyone else.
1: Right. Okay. So is this kind of a little bit like the next step in evolution? So there were Vines and then there kind of seemed to be Snapchat and now there's TikTok.
2: It's it's very similar to Vine. That's probably the easiest way to describe it, actually. It is very similar to Vine, that people are doing snappy, funny little things. And it's actually hilarious, but... My spin-off on this is, so I've been getting involved in TikTok and I love it. And my obsession is with a particular trend that is living in a van.
1: So, Sorry, did you say living in a van?
2: I did say living in a van, um, which is just as stupid as it sounds, but right. also kind of awesome. So basically there has been this trend of people deciding they don't want to pay rent anymore.
3: Right.
2: And they have decided to live in a van instead. So what they're going to do is, as you do, you know, we've all been there. So they decide they're going to get this van, RV, even some school buses, and basically rip them out and turn them into a little home and then live on the road like the free spirits we are. Now, it's just, it's so interesting because it has become like this widespread thing where all these people who are like 20 are just living in a van. And I think there's 2.1 billion views on the hashtag van life.
1: Right. But hang on. So the, so each clip goes for a minute,
2: a minute. What's,
1: what's happening in a minute about people living in a van.
2: Here's a van tour. And then they do a tour of their van, which does not take long because it's a van Or they'll do one minute on how we shower or one minute on like my storage options, you know, something like that. It'll be, they have an entire account that is dedicated to how they live in a van.
1: Wow. Okay.
2: I love it. Just it. I love it so much. I follow so many people and just watch these people live in a van.
1: So, and, and they're all young people.
2: Well, that's a thing, so most of them, yes, um but then I'm following um these other this couple, and they're thirty one they're the oldest ones I've found, so they're all young people, like they're yeah. youngish, you know, I personally you know I demand everyone still call me twenty two so I consider thirty one to be old you know oh yeah yeah
1: well yeah. i I consider um... thirty one to be like teenage years, but uh
2: <laughs> but the the large majority of these people seem to be like 2021. Yeah. And that bothers me because I have some thoughts.
1: right? Okay.
2: So the problem I have with it is that they are selling this idea of living in a van as though anybody can do it. Basically it's all in these videos of look, anyone can do this. Stop paying rent. Just go buy a van, fit it out. It's so accessible. You can wake up anywhere tomorrow. I'm on a beach. You can be too. But that's just not true it is so expensive like think about it you have to actually buy the van or whatever you're turning it into first then you have to strip it you have to have everything fitted out and conveniently know how to do all the plumbing and electricity and the whole thing is just it's going to be an expensive venture
1: it sounds expensive
2: Well, I watched one video of one girl explaining it, and it cost her $110,000 just to do the refit.
1: (laughs) So hang on a sec. So this is some kind of premise where it's about getting back to living life easily and living life away from the man, and you're spending this amount of money to...
2: And not only that... So you have to buy the van, then spend $110,000 refitting it. And then also conveniently, you have to have a dad who knows how to do all the electrical and plumbing in this van with all that needs setting up. Like you have to organize a toilet and everything in the van.
3: Plus a
2: kitchen. It's like a tiny little studio apartment in there. They have lounges and beds and everything else. It's like the whole, I just, the whole thing is a bit ridiculous, but I mean, I went to schoolies, right, in the Gold Coast, like many other people on Surface Paradise, right? Right. And some of the boys I went to school with travelled up and stayed in a van. And I remember what was inside that thing. There was a bench and there was a bong. And that was it. Right. And it wasn't practical. It wasn't comfortable, but it was economical, you know? Right.
1: That's weird. So, <laughs> and also what I kind of like about it is, from what you're describing, it's a little bit, what old people do when they decide they're going to sell up and they're going to travel around the country, and, but it's young people who have disposable income or at least have parents who have disposable income.
0: Well, That's the thing.
2: See, cause there's a lot of videos cause a lot of the comments and a lot of the questions these people get asked is how are you making money? Like once you're on the road, putting aside the 110 grand that they've just refit a van with, once you're actually on the road and you're going to live your truth and your best life right. on the beach in God knows where, How are you making income? Like, how are you affording petrol and food and everything else? Right. Um, So, most of them say by blogging. By blogging? No. Blogging. Right. let's discuss maybe a couple of them are actually genuinely making a bit of money off blogging. Yeah. How many do you reckon that is? And how many... Like, I, I just really don't think that's true. And, I mean, I don't want to crush anybody's entrepreneurial spirit, all right? right. I just think mum and dad might be investing a little bit of capital into this passion project.
1: I, I don't think they're making any money from blogging because I'm not entirely <laughs> certain that – I feel like that uh, that bubble has burst unless you have a massive profile. Can you make money from TikTok? Are they making money from showing people around their van? Because that. <laughs>
2: Not really from TikTok directly, unless they're like, to my understanding, I could be wrong on that. I, but I do believe that's kind of one of the controversies is that they're really not making money off TikTok unless they're doing like advertisements. Like some of them literally are like, you know, like Instagram where they're selling tea or something.
1: Right. Okay.
2: Tea is going to make you skinny. Right.
1: <laughs> what, sorry. What what was this tea? No, the, <laughs> so you, you can't kind of monetize TikTok unless you, are selling a specific thing, but then you're in a van and you're on the move. It it sounds like a rich kid's.
2: Oh, hobby. and that's the thing. It is honestly, and also you have to be in a position where you can just up and leave your life, which right. sort of screams privilege to start with.
1: But yeah.
2: It's. I mean, and i once again. I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. The whole thing sounds kind of cool if you can do it. Right. But it just also sounds not as accessible as we're being sold.
1: Right. Also, like, would you want to live in a van?
2: Like, I don't not want to live in a van.
1: Okay. Like, like, it's, uh, like if, if the right van came along, you'd give it a if crack? If
2: the right van came along, I'd uh, look look twice, you know? Right. <laughs> I'm just, I feel like I want to live in a van as a holiday. Yes. No. Okay. So when asked about how they shower and things like this, I just want to read you a quote. And this is from um, Courtney Hamill. She and her partner, Nate, they're both 31. They have 1.6 million TikTok followers for living in this van. Right. And they were asked about how they live their lives, shower, go to the bathrooms. And she said this. There are definitely some challenges that come with living mobile. We typically rely on showering at gyms and yoga stu- studios, but during the height of the pandemic, many of those resources weren't available. Luckily, we were able to park in my dad's driveway and use some of his resources. Is that literally in- <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wow. So so it's it's that's less about living the dream and more your dad couldn't afford an extension on the house. So we bought you a van.
2: A little bit. Like, I mean, I don't mock these people or throw shade. Like, I mean, honestly, I mean, power to you. I mean, it sounds like a great adventure. If you are able to do it, I'm mostly just jealous here, but I'm just saying, I feel like we're definitely being sold a dream here. That this is a successful thing we should all be doing when it's possibly a little bit more living in your dad's driveway.
1: That's amazing. Like that, that truly is amazing. I do love the idea of I'm going to go on this big adventure but not past the front gate.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, and the thing is, like, a lot of it does sound genuinely very cool. Like, I mean, a lot of them, they, everyone I've followed is American. Um, right. I'm not sure whether this is something that's sweeping the globe, but all I've found have been in the US-based. And so it's very kind of, like, travelling through the states of the US. Yeah. And... I mean, that kind of sounds awesome. Like, on the positives of this, a road trip through the US where you don't have to spend money on Airbnbs or hostels or whatever, I mean, that's... Do you save... Would you save 110 grand? (laughs) Arguably no. But, I mean, you'd save some money that you would have otherwise spent. So, I mean, it does sound very cool. I would not turn that down as a vacation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also you would actually be able to do it much cheaper without buying the $110,000 van. The thing is, is that they're selling it on an idea that it's... Accessible. Right, and it's not.
2: That's what annoys me. Right. But also, I'm fully addicted to it. So my main spin <laughs> off of this week has been that I needed to look into how much this would cost. Like, I wanted right. to know whether we can actually do this. Is this something? Can I live in a van today? Right. Is my main question. And no, I'm a poor person is really the answer. Right. And also, I don't want to have to rely on Jim's yoga studios and my dad's driveway to shower. Like, I'm, I'm a bit precious. I don't know. No, but...
1: I don't know if that's precious. I, I reckon that's just, like, normal. Like, I, like I've like i hit a point in my life where being able to take a crap and know that I'm not going to catch <laughs> something from the toilet seat is a high high priority in my (laughs) life you know taking a shower and not having to wear thongs or anything on my feet because it's my shower and I know that it's clean that's where I'm at in my life
2: I just kind of like the thing I'm interested in is how did this conversation go I just can't imagine calling my mum and saying mum hi I need 110 grand I'm gonna live in a van Right. Like, and my mum being like, yeah, cool. <laughs>
1: That's... Well, then she'd say, how are you going to fund it? And you'd say, oh, well, the, all the money I make you... from my blog.
2: <laughs> my blog, yes. Yeah,
1: where I talk about you giving me money. The yeah. well, could you.
2: I mean, you... power to you, but.
1: Right. Could you bear to live in a van with someone, whether it was a partner or a friend? I feel like that would be. Oh, no. oh I'd be so claustrophobic.
2: I honestly, like. My mum has a friend who recently got married. Um, It's actually probably been like two years. I think everything's recent these days. But she's um, like my mum's age. And she recently got married to a man about that age as well. I don't know him personally. But the point of this story is they are now married but living in separate houses still. Because they decided they want to be married and they want to be together. But they still want their own space and their own houses. And I think that sounds... Like, the most amazing marriage I've ever heard of in my life. Unconventional? Sure. I love that. Yeah. I love my space. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't, I, I don't reckon I could, like, I wouldn't be happy. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not in love. So maybe you. Maybe when you're in love, you really want them in your RV.
1: You know, now that sounds awful to me. The I kind of, I get that. Like, if you could afford to, like, live next door to the person that you're with, that to me is perfect because, well, you know, everyone has those friends that make sense for the individual but don't make sense for anyone else because you have a history, you have a, a a lot of experience together. But when you introduce them to other people, that person's fucking annoying. And so if you have your own space, you can say, hey, I'm, I'm going to have neville over to my place today and they can say oh good i'm going to stay at home and not have to deal with that fucking idiot and you go yeah that's fair enough he is a fucking idiot but i've known him since i was a teenager
2: just i want to have a nap you want to watch tv that's not going to work out for me i just want to Go away
1: right i'm i'm going to cook
2: it's not gonna
1: yeah i'm going to cook food that you don't like i'm going to do it in my house and i'm going to enjoy it and then i'll come over afterwards
2: yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not about it. Um, and it's actually funny. There's like numerous videos I've seen where they've been like, "I'm in my second RV. My first RV I bought with my boyfriend, and uh, we broke up, and it's like shocking. How did that happen?" And wow. um, so then they buy a new RV and do their own thing separately. Um, yeah, I honestly reckon it's because no one should live in like that's a tiny moving. <laughs> No. Well,
1: you know, but also it's one of those things where is nobody thinking that at some point they might eat something dodgy and get a bit of gastro? Like then you're going to be
2: to the makeshift toilet.
1: Right. Like so n- none of that works for me. Like it, you can't control that kind of stuff. And if you have your own place, you can go there and you can be Absolutely disgusting and gross and you can cry and you can fart and burp and shit and nobody needs to see any of it. And then you can quarantine for three days. You can come out looking thinner and ready to go. But if if you're in an RV together, like they're going to be there all the way through that experience. And that is, you know what that to me is? That's a turn off.
2: That, that, is, that is a turn off. Um, honestly, yeah, I'm... Like, yeah, it's definitely a holiday for me. But my question is, when you were that age, though, did you ever do anything, like not live in a van, but Mm. did you ever do something that you think people would be like? Okay. (laughs) That's (laughs) a bit bit weird.
1: weird. Right. Well, for me, it was start stand-up comedy. So that's probably the closest I I got. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was a law student when I started stand-up comedy and I just was like, (laughs) yeah,
1: right. Yeah, I'll give that a go. Yeah, I I I performed in a comedy duo that uh that toured with a
2: Natalie.
1: a punk rock clown band. So, that would probably be the weirdest thing that I did. Funnily enough, toured in a van where they took out the back, but that was we never <laughs> well, stayed why in are
2: the are you v- passing judgment <laughs> at least these well, like clown band. <laughs>
1: but we never stayed in the van. Like we drove in the van and then stayed in hotels and proper beds.
2: Mm. Well, look, I will say some of these vans are very fancy. Like they want to be for $110,000, but it's like, they're fancy. They're nicer than like most studio apartments. Like they have properly fitted out. They have beds, they have hidden storage. The storage is cool. I think that's what I'm addicted to. It's all the hidden shelves and the, this lifts up and it's actually this. And that I love. I'm about that. I oh, it gets me where I need to go. I love interior design shows on Netflix. You know, all oh, that stuff.
1: Like, yeah. Oh, look,
2: it's clean. It's organized. It makes oh, it makes my soul happy.
1: So that makes sense. That So I've been trying to understand why you would be obsessed with this. And essentially, essentially, it's not people living in a van. You would be, if it was on TikTok and it was nooks and crannies, that's what you'd be into even more. Like it could have, this could be in... Oh,
2: no, I want to watch someone live in a van.
1: (laughs) Oh, you do? Right. Okay.
2: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I just love the idea that someone is just living on a beach in a van and thinks that's accessible. I just, I love blind optimism about the world. (laughs) Right.
1: No, I get that. All right. Well, let's finish off with this question. I want you to give me a serious answer. I want you to really think this through. You meet... You meet the person that you really want to date, that you really yeah. think you've got a good connection, this is all yeah. going to happen, and then they pitch you the van suggestion. What are the first three worries that you have come to mind before you commit to this?
2: Well, first would be money. Right. How are we making money? My blog's not taking off the way I expected it to. You <laughs> this know? is a
1: disaster, right? Right.
2: This is a disaster. So right? hope.
1: So hopefully. So hopefully, this person is loaded. So yeah, yeah. you would have so to it, kind of look, lean into that.
2: would be: Who's buying this van? Like, do right. you have the van already? Is yeah. the van like is the van in my driveway? Like, babes, look, we have yeah. this van. Right. Get in the van. Which in itself. Yeah, that's scary. intense.
1: Also, if it's in the driveway, we also know that that might be just where you're moving. You're just moving downstairs to the driveway.
2: Yeah, I just, nothing good started in a van. Like, I just sort of feel like I've grown up being told never get in a van. And now it's like live in a van. My third question.
1: Hang on. What was the second question?
2: My second question is who's paying for the van. So, okay. finances. answers okay. question one. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah.
2: Two. What's the long-term plan? Like, how long are you planning to live in the van? Like, are we living in a van for six months? Are we living in a van indefinitely? Like, are we having careers, or is the van our career?
1: Right. What's you what's know? what's what's the correct answer for you to say yes to this? So he said, "I'll oh, I've I can afford it." Second oh, six, question. I, is-
2: I could do. I could do. I reckon three months in a van three
1: months wow you you really <laughs> love you really love this person
2: yeah but i mean like i sort of feel well that's the thing it's kind of like if you hate him and you dump him like you could be anywhere you could be on a beach like <sighs> yes. how do you do the dramatic entrance exit sorry if you live in a van together you know Yeah. slam the door of the rv it's like i'm done
1: i'm not sure they slam it's a it's a it's a hundred and ten thousand dollar van. It probably has those air cu- cushions. So you try to slow, <laughs> and you have to wait for ages as it just kind of slowly closes.
2: Oh, but you'd feel like you're in every rom com, you know, like just walking off across the beach, right?
1: Nowhere
2: because you have no idea where
1: you are. Right, all right. So first of all, That's... he's paying for it. Second, th- how
2: long? Three,
1: three months. Three months is what you're I going to say forward. yes to. I reckon...
2: I reckon you could sell me on three months. Yeah. Any longer than that, and I'd be like, you know, I kind of have dreams, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have some goals.
2: I have some goals. And thirdly, honestly, if it's a guy I'm moving in with, who's cleaning this van?
1: Yeah. Good That's, question.
2: Who's cleaning it? Like, I would like a, you know, a roster on the fridge. You yeah. Know? <laughs> How's this van? Because I'm not living in your squalid RV. Right? Yeah.
1: And what and what's the answer? Does he have to say either A he's cleaning it or B, he reveals that his housemaid is also going to be, going to be with you, you know?
2: It's gonna be a full van.
1: Yeah. There's a housemaid, there's a gardener, he will uh, you know wherever we park, he'll make the garden nice for us. There's a cook. Uh, yeah, I need
2: I need a cook. Definitely I need a cook in the RV. Yeah. Yeah, because that's my oh actually that's a very valid question. How do you like get mail?
1: Right. Well I guess it's all electronic and you can't ever have handwritten mail or or type oh, mail again. You're off Amazon. Right. Well Your van. Yeah, well I guess I guess you're not ordering anything. That's...
2: Actually actually, no, Amazon's a bad one because Amazon has um like Drawings? Amazon has like um what am I so, it's like a post office. They have like drop boxes yeah. and you go and you get the code and you can go pick it up. So I mean, maybe everything has that and I just don't know much about these things.
1: Well, it sounds like you can get Amazon stuff, so that works out well. That's, what else could you want? That's the bonus. Well,
2: you're getting back to nature and you're really trying to fight capitalism, but you're still yeah. playing on Amazon.
1: Yeah, but I want some new AirPods, so, you know, because <laughs> i got to drown out the moaning of uh, this idiot who's got food poisoning (laughs) and is like half a meter away from you expunging everything from their soul (laughs) well
2: look i've looked into it and what i'm saying is maybe think twice before living in a van yeah um but hey once again i don't want to crush anyone's entrepreneurial spirit and if your blog is taking off in a way that you believe you can afford it power to you babes
1: power to you that is true well look i hope over the christmas break you meet the person of your dreams who will gladly take you on a uh a van trip
2: for specifically three months
1: (laughs) for specifically three months with the cook the cleaner the gardener
2: Hmm.
1: i personally will be sleeping in a bed and if i ever meet someone who makes that suggestion i'll just say why don't we just break up (laughs) and that'll be easier
2: why don't you do that and call me yeah
1: yeah, I've got something coming from Amazon. I can't leave. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us uh, this season. And we'll, uh, we'll have you back for next season. But I hope you have a good Christmas and New Year's. And I, I really hope you don't meet that person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> next time I tune in, I'll be in a van. Oh, so.
1: I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. In a twilight world of international espionage, a CIA operative is recruited to participate in a global assignment to stop the world from plunging into World War III. The protagonist soon finds himself moving backwards and forwards through time and has only one word at his disposal that will help him fight for the world's survival. That word is Tenet.
3: All I have for you is a word. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face.
2: As I understand it... We're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not seeing Armageddon here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. He might just bring me in. You really want to know?
3: He can communicate with the future. Time travel? No. Inversion.
2: Name it and pull the trigger. You're shooting the bullet. You're catching it.
3: Poor. Well, I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. Your duty transcends national interests. This is about survival.
1: Seems bold. <laughs> I'm fine, but I thought you were going to say nuts.
3: This is where our worlds collide. How would you like to
2: die? Old. You chose the wrong profession.
3: What the hell happened here? Hasn't happened yet. There are people in the future who need us. I need a tenant. We need to save them, here and now. This reversing the flow of time, doesn't us being here now mean it never happened. You want to crash a plane? But not from the air. No so dramatic. Well, how big a plane?
1: That part is a little dramatic. Before we get to the first question, I'm going to make a statement of intent towards you, Benjamin. Yeah. I'm going to discuss with you that this is a movie that doesn't need to be overthought because I think it's also just a lot of fun. Mm. But I also think it's the biggest statement in Nolan's career in what he believes and what he's been building through with every subsequent movie. Please tell and me. And it lands, and it lands tell me. right in the film. Yeah. And in that regard for me, it's perfect entertainment because I can just sit there and enjoy all the set pieces because uh-huh. the set pieces are beautiful and wonderful and fun. Yeah. But also there's a lot to think about.
4: Okay. I look forward to you telling me what there is to think about. I also think
1: it's a challenging movie because I think... Yeah. I do think he's a proper auteur Mm -hmm. who works on a broad canvas. Mm -hmm. So I am not surprised that some people do not want this. But this, to me, is like (laughs) complaining about Grant Morrison working on JLA.
4: Right. That's how you see it. Yeah. Like it's a major blockbuster action movie through the filter of a Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Okay, that gives me a a way in. So, So I... I feel like
1: I went and saw it again because I wanted to see I wanted to see the movies in order. Yeah. And after seeing Dunkirk, yeah, well, it's kind of a bit silly mm-hmm. to not then go and see Tenet To again. Not see Tenant for the eighth time. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you. I know you had your thoughts on the first watch. Yeah. Can you give me an example of what you, what were you thinking after the first watch, and okay. then this? Sure. Recent watch. So
4: first watch, I would say I was quite, I, I think I said it to you at the time that I don't actually feel comfortable offering an opinion. And I know that that is sacrilege in the age of hot takes and what did you think and everything. Ah. But I remember like it was for me, it was a full frontal assault the first time, whether it's the sound mixing or the issues in the cinema. I, I suspect that viewing, it was both because the subsequent viewing wasn't as um, ear bleedingly loud. Uh, so, I, a lot of the dialogue I missed, a lot of the set pieces, when they would begin, I would kind of be like, I don't know what we're doing in India right now, I don't know what the objective is, but I surrendered to that about 20 minutes in, not trying to figure it out, just like, let, let it just wash. So, after the first time, it was very much like a, uh, for me, like a half-completed jigsaw or something, where it's like, oh, I've got the shape of this thing, but I don't have enough specific detail to really know what I think. And all I know is that I need to see it again.
1: That's funny. That's not dissimilar to my experience, which was it felt like I was watching a movie that I remembered from my youth that held up.
4: Yeah, right. That you couldn't quite remember. You couldn't quite remember the little twists and turns along yes. the way. Yeah, very good. But yeah. that's a very similar kind of experience, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Totally, totally. And um, and you know, you and I have talked about this a lot. Where it's like I think we're way past in our movie watching that need to understand something as it's happening or predict the twist before it happens like that was very much like a my mode of viewing movies in my teens and 20s like oh i've heard this movie has a twist so i reckon i could figure it out before they reveal it nowadays it's like let's just surrender that that's really the aim just let this thing wash over and you'll piece it together later yeah Um, it was
1: was, that that's how i accidentally ruined uh the sixth sense for my girlfriend at the time paul bianca well i someone had told me there was a twist yeah. And so yeah. I, I wasn't looking for it, yeah. but there was literally that scene where they're both uh, Tony Collette and Bruce Willis are sitting there and they're not acknowledging one another and the little boy walks in. Yeah. And I, I thought that was such a strange scene. Yeah. I remember turning around and go, I wonder if he's dead. <laughs> anyway, well, I ended up with a big purple, yellow, green bruise on my arm from when she... Because once you think it, Course. It's really obvious, yeah, of course. and I was so, Bianca Hemingway. If you're out there, I am so sorry for ruining the success.
4: <laughs> as long as you didn't ruin the usual suspects, I didn't ruin the usual. Yeah, it's suspects. a great twist. Um, so it did. It felt. It definitely felt like that second time. I was less confused by the storyline. I knew where we were and what we were doing every time. But I hate to say, I don't hate this movie. But I don't love this movie. And I think it might be my least favorite Nolan movie. Right. I think so. But when you put it in the context of this is Nolan's action blockbuster, <laughs> it can't... I enjoy it the way I enjoy Darren Aronofsky's Noah. And I know you're going to hate me for saying that. But Noah is not a movie I love. But I love it because... I don't love it in isolation. I love it as a part of... This is Darren Aronofsky's version of a blockbuster special effects movie. And for that, it's just a great artifact that exists. It's like, whoa, this is what... If Darren Aronofsky was given hundreds of millions of dollars to make a a weird blockbuster rock monster movie, this is what it would look like. And so... If I didn't know that Darren Aronofsky directed it, I'd probably be a bit ho-hum about it, but because I know it's him, it's like, ah, you know what, I'll chuck that on once a year, of course. And that will be the same with Tenet. But I do think that I will grow to love it more as I watch it.
1: Right. So it's interesting because having watched all of Nolan's movies in sequential order and coming off the back specifically of The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar and Dunkirk, Mm. all three of those movies have a lot of emotion in them, like deep emotion. Yeah. We've talked about the obvious emotion in The Dark Knight Rises and the emotion that I think that is brought to that film in the death of Heath Ledger. Yep. The Dunkirk story is of course full of emotion because it is about ordinary people rising to the challenge. And Interstellar of course, at its heart, is about loving your children. Totally, There's a lot of emotion. Yeah. So on the one hand, I think this is Nolan's fun movie. It's fun. (laughs) It's implausible. It's dreamlike. It's bombastic. And I wonder if the mainstream media's decision to crown it with the title of the movie that tried to save cinema Mm. stops people from enjoying it correctly.
4: I don't doubt that for a second. And this is a problem that I've had with... um... Uh, movie twitter and just all the film sites that exist now that it does seem that the reaction to and the anticipation of a film is actually more important than the film itself yes. and i think you know this is a reason that i don't watch trailers this is a reason i avoid reviews or podcasts about films until i see them is once you know it's very much like conception once a point of view is planted in your head about something that you haven't seen yet, it is impossible to watch it without that filter over the top of it. Um, I believe we brought this up before, but, you know, when The Revenant came out um, and all of a sudden, about two weeks after it, there was all the hype of, oh, look at what DiCaprio is doing to win an Oscar. What a fucking... What a, what a loser. What a try-hard. You know, crawling through the snow and all this shit. And, you know, I saw that way before the rhetoric started and fucking loved that performance. But of course, after on the subsequent viewings, it was hard not to have that voice in my head even if I didn't necessarily agree with it. It was influencing how I was watching the movie.
1: It's so true. And that's yeah. part of the reason that this podcast exists because yeah. it's about finding the positivity in the things that we enjoy and fi- yeah. and trying to put out those negative voices because those negative voices are so strong. It doesn't mean you can't be critical, mm. but it it's about bringing something that is more informed to the table rather yep. than just it was like I think I told you I saw someone on Twitter who's a journalist in America writing does anyone even remember Tennant and I was about to like A you you review movies yeah 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 like what a dumb thing to yeah. just say because what you're saying is oh yeah the industry that I make a living from and <laughs> they tried to tried to keep it going and yeah. so you're shitting on that yeah 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 also have you read what the cinemas are now dealing with, what their issue is, there's no new content because everyone is playing it safe and putting their movies off so the cinemas are reopening and they have to show old movies because there's nothing new to Mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. Then you you couple that with the fact that, hey, I know America's having a really bad time and Mm -hmm. no one doubts that, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's done really well for the rest of the world considering they're also dealing with a pandemic and... You know, you had Scott Derrickson, who I really quite like coming out saying, Don't see Tenant and it's like, you know what? Going into a cinema where if the cinema is has sanitizer there and you're wearing a mask and no one's sitting in front of you, behind you, or next to you, is a pretty clean experience.
4: He was saying don't see the Yeah, don't don't see see Tenet at the cinema
1: because of COVID. Like he was coming from a good place. But Mm. everyone has forgotten that when things close They rarely reopen Mm. and all they did was try to give some content to the cinema so when they could open and this is where they've ruined the experience of this film because they're considering it to have underperformed. But the fact remains, we decide if a movie's a hit... On its first
4: forty eight hours. Absolutely. And that's ridiculous. Absolutely. And and, and also what the uh, baseline opinion of the movie is. Like in a way, Tenet never had a chance because A, it was uh, you know, saddled with this expectation of like it's gonna save cinema because it's Christopher Nolan. But, you know, we all know that the opinion of a movie spreads like a virus within forty eight hours. So when you've got a and, and you know, the the, the first forty eight hours of Tenet were kind of eh, like there wasn't a huge groundswell of like this but is the best movie ever.
1: But that's actually Not quite correct There was a lot of love for it But the negative voices Like it's about 72% on Rotten Tomatoes Which I wouldn't really You know And of course Once again I'm not saying Don't bring critical analysis to it Like Mm. I know that I go in (laughs) Wanting to enjoy this And I'm the kind of person Who enjoys stuff By doing a deep dive Yeah of course That's that's who I am I know other people aren't like that And maybe Of course you can go in And say that was just Too much going on for me Whatever I'm Mm. fine with that But That's not what I'm discussing here. It's not the critical discourse. Mm. It's the... There's this kind of glee in getting stuck into it. And here is a man making blockbuster entertainment with big ideas that he refuses to have anything above a PG rating so kids can see it, who can be exposed to those great ideas Mm, like mm, we got mm. to see... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kubrick's 2001 and we got to see those movies that when they came out took our imaginations places that made us the people we are today and that's what's really annoying to me.
4: Yeah, yeah. When I say it didn't have a chance because of the negative reviews, I think it was that thing of like the negative review uh or the, the or whatever the ambivalent to negative reviews kind of took over the conversation and then you've got this staggered release model where yes. the movie's been out for months in one place before it comes to another yes. and we all know that people make up their minds very quickly based on other people's opinions so when the va- when the vast amount of the rhetoric they're reading is you know has that kind of snarky tone in it i think yeah. by the time it gets to city b or melbourne for instance yeah. you know there are a contingent of people that are like oh, i've heard that shit yeah. whatever and it's coming out on Blu-ray in a month, anyway. Yeah. So you know that would aid to that would be adding to the what what is it Warner Brothers? Yeah. What Warner Brothers perceives as box office loss. You know the fact that there was too much time between people ragging on the film versus people's ability to see it. Yeah. Without with with an unclouded judgment.
1: Yeah, and also once again, I think, uh, you know, like I've had, I've had a few emails from people. Majority of them have been great, but Mm. you know there was one person who just writes to me like it's my fucking movie. And it's like I thought it sucked, and you go, yeah. Oh well, guess what? You you went to the cinema and didn't have a good time, and I've been seven times and I had a great time. So that makes me a winner and makes you inarticulate.
4: (laughs) I do think I do think it was folly to put tenant out as the film that was going to save cinema.
1: Well, the problem is is that nobody else was doing it, and then yeah. you know what's happened now, is now you're going to have to probably pay for Wonder Woman for a home experience. Yeah. I already know, like, without even looking, mm. I already know two of the plot twists in the new James Bond movie. Mm. Like, that's the movie that, if anyone had any balls, they would have released the James Bond film. Yeah, I think
4: so. I think Wonder it Woman... needed to be an IP. Yeah, it needed to be something. It needed to be an IP. It needed to be something that... For better or worse, doesn't require that much work. I think yes. that, I think the, you know, people are reticent to put um, a lot of mental work into a movie when in non COVID times. Yes. But when there's a COVID times and the cinema is this rarefied experience, I think most people, you know, I think if it had been Wonder Woman 84, it probably would have made a shitload more money. I think once people, once the word got out, is like, oh, it's all convoluted and twisty, then the Nolan. Um, Critics kicked in, which has been around for the last three movies anyway, like, oh it's more of the same. From about
0: from about
1: halfway through Inceptions Yes Theatrical release. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's by the way, I also don't want to be aligned with the fanboys who can't look at things critically. Like I know that this is a challenging movie in many ways. Mm. I like the sound mix, but I can understand how people don't like (laughs) the sound mix. But that's I feel like Like, I understand where he's coming from. Yeah. But I also understand... Once again, I've used this analogy before. When One of my favourite David Bowie albums is impenetrable to most people, and that's the outside album. But I think it's a masterpiece. I can see and hear everything that he is... Going for yeah, there, yeah, yeah. that doesn't mean anyone who says that's just too much for me. I go, yeah, fair enough. No, I get no, that. Of course, so, yeah. and anyway, like I don't want to. But that,
4: but that's the, but that's the great thing about also, knowing an artist yeah. as well as you know Nolan or as well yeah. as you know Bowie or we know Morrison or whatever is yeah. that you know this is for better and worse the most Nolan-ish of the Nolan movies. Yes, so it was kind of in you know, and when I say it was folly to, re- it was folly to release any film as the movie that's going to save cinema, but extra folly with this one in that. Like it almost feels like it's made for hardcore Nolan fans. Like it's right. very, you know, Nolan. Well, <laughs> that noise doesn't happen. Uh,
1: <laughs> that noise hasn't happened since Inception. Hey, come and on, it's you a conceptual
4: keep, noise. You keep
1: referring to it, and I'm offended. The uh, by the way, for it still made three hundred fifty-three million dollars yeah, worldwide. Right. Yeah. Anyway, this this podcast is about if you're a bit confused, or you're not sure, or you're Maybe you're one of those people who does want to listen to a yeah. review before you go and see it. Yeah, this is what this is about. This movie has, to me, two major influences: one really obvious, mm-hmm. one that's obscure. Did you see any influences?
4: Well, you, you've talked you talked before the James Bond influence, yeah. and I do see that, and I think you know that's probably another uh, reason that it's not one of my favourite Nolan movies is that I'm not a huge James Bond. Guy. Neither am I. I'm really not. I like uh, I Goldfinger, try. right? As Sorry. a kid, with yep. odd job, and the laser in the groin and all that stuff. Yeah, that's the again. That's the most James Bond of all the James Bond movies. It's got yep. all the tropes. So I love that as a kid. Uh, but yeah, I, I've tried James Bond. It's not for me.
1: There are some movies that I enjoy while I'm watching them. Mm. Funnily enough, probably the James Bond movie I enjoy the most is Skyfall, which feels like the most Nolan-esque. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Very blue grey. You, you know what I find they're really good for yeah. is when you're doing your tax because. <laughs> There's so many good set pieces. What you do is you do your tax, yeah. and then you go, "Oh, hang on, here's one of those set pieces." And then you watch the set piece, and you don't really have to have concentrated too much. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see what's going on.
4: Back to the tax. Well, let's <laughs> let's
1: get into the first one. He, uh, as you know, he's a mm. fan of the Bond movies, and in particular, said the Roger Moore film, "The Spy Who Loved Me," was a big influence. Nolan said it had such scale and such possibilities; it was pure escapism and had an excellent sort of fantasy component to it. He has wanted to recapture that experience to give back to audiences a sense of escapism and also take audiences to glamorous and dangerous places they could never go. For me, that was kind of why, after being locked up for three months and not seeing anyone, mm. like I literally did not see anyone I knew for three months or 11 really? weeks, you know, when the yeah, when yeah, the quarantine yeah. hit. I didn't see anyone because yeah, I live alone and yeah. everyone was locked up.
4: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know,
1: I saw people on Zoom, but in person. Yeah. So you're going to the cinema, and it was almost for me because it is very Nolan esque. The perfect movie for me because I was like, "Look at those places! I'm never going to go <laughs> again again." <laughs> uh, do you think that on f- the first couple of viewings that means it sort of doesn't have the emotional resonance for you? Like it's not what the, 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 the story doesn't have.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, well, for me, the for me the story. Doesn't yeah have any emotion? Well, not not none, but it's very it's a very little emotional resonance for me. Yeah. It's an entertainment, yeah. You know, and it's I funny. and uh, and that's
1: why I think it's on the surface. It's fun movie.
4: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a caper. Yeah, yeah. But you you I, prefer you know the... what you, you know, you know what I appreciated more this time the the humor. There was a lot more humor as there is in every Nolan movie. And we've yeah. talked about this a lot. Yeah, but the, I I appreciated the kind of glib detached. Bond-esque um, uh, humor. We'll, we'll get. Like, to we're doing some crazy shit, aren't we? And we're completely unflappable. That 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 stuff I liked very much.
1: So yeah, and once again, the like Neil gets, and we'll get to Neil in a yeah. moment. But I I, I don't think bunchy jumpable is a word. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when they go in to do that first, uh, when they go to speak to Priya, and neil has got all the security guards, here. don't let it go cold yeah, yeah, <laughs> while the guys yeah, yeah. still eating yeah yeah that's yeah. funny yeah. it's uh it's there's there's lots of yeah. when he's breathing before the gas comes in and yeah. he just looks at the yoga. guy just yoga yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like yeah. i think
4: that stuff is the humanizing you know cuz again the movie moves so quickly as well yes. it's like bang 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 here we go so you know um it's that thing nolan sometimes does where it's like you know the kind of um pastiche of connection and emotion yes. rather than getting really into the, you know, heartfelt scene.
1: Yeah. You know. There was, like, the the whole Michael Caine, all, all of that. But I think it also speaks to character as well. We'll get to the protagonist a little mm-hmm. bit later, but it's all funny, but it also gives... I think the protagonist is actually a, a much better painted character if you are up for paying attention. Sure. You don't have to, Yeah, but... There's lots of giveaways in who he is. Okay. But before we get to that, the other influence on this movie, for me, is the TV series The Prisoner. At one point, Nolan was earmarked to remake that series into a movie, but that eventually fell through. Quickly, for those that haven't seen The Prisoner, it was a British series from the late 60s that was an avant-garde science fiction series about an unnamed British intelligence agent who was abducted and imprisoned in the in a mysterious coastal village where his captors attempt to find out why he abruptly resigned from the job the lead role was taken by Patrick McGoohan, who also helped create and write the series there was one season of 17 episodes were meant to be two of 26 mm. but it got finished uh, you know early
4: does it does it end properly oh yeah, yeah great.
1: and yeah. Patrick's character was only known as number six mm. when he realized it wasn't coming back for another season it he just threw everything at the fucking wall Great. with the ending. Yeah. It has an ending that is still debated today. It caused a meltdown when it first aired. Remember, there were only three mm. st- stations mm, mm, back mm, mm. in the late 60s. Mm. And the ending is bonkers. Great. Uh,. The surreal nature of the prisoner is very much evident in this film. The main character doesn't have a name. He works for a mysterious organization that hides in the shadows and gets an enemy that is unseen. Nobody is who they say they are, for better or worse, etc. etc. How do you feel about the ambiguous nature of this style of storytelling? Do you do you want definitive answers from your movies? No,
4: you know that that I no no I, I like I prefer things to be uh, open ended or at least open for interpretation. You know, it aids in rewatchability, yep. you know, that, and, that, and that is a big part of, you know, back to what I was saying before in that it's true that I don't particularly care for this movie, but there is enough meat on the bone that I know I will buy the Blu-ray and it will be watched several times you know, and that's where that's where I think the ambiguity plays into it and the lack of definitive answers. I think if it was as locked off as a more conventional director would make it, I think that it would just be like, that's it, I've watched it twice, I'm done. Uh, whereas there's enough kind of um, loose threads that I want to go back, you know. You know, yeah. you, know how, you know how that sometimes happens, you know, you, yeah. don't, you don't particularly... A movie doesn't particularly lock in, but you can't quite shake it. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: Yeah. It's funny... Th- there were movies that I loved at the cinema
4: when I saw it mm-hmm. and have never watched again because mm. I just. You don't... know that it was the one time deal. That was great. Yeah. And then there's others, you know, like the first time I saw Under the Skin, I did not care for it at all. Mm. And I must have watched that movie 10 times since then. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. It's, it's incredible.
1: Because it gets in just behind the eye and it's. It starts... Oh, it
0: literally gets under your skin. It's yeah.
4: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. I fucked up. But, you know, it was a good year between the first time and the second time I watched it. Yeah. And I hated it. I really didn't like it, but I could not get those fucking images out of my head. Yeah, and I was like, all right, then this is operating on a level that... I was not ready to receive the first time I saw this. Uh, and then the second time, it was like, no, this is fucking brilliant. I just... You know, and, and, and that was like that with 2001. I didn't hate it the first time, but I definitely was like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, so that was a lot. It was a <laughs> I'm lot. i got to process that. <laughs> I saw 2001
1: at too young an age with people who weren't engaged. Mm. So... When I was asking questions, I went with my auntie and grandfather, and they just looked at me and <laughs> say, "What?" But if I'd gone with someone, when I said, "What was, what did this mean?" and they could have explained it to me.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I, and. And that's why I'm not Christopher Nolan, because his dad explained 2001 <laughs> to him at a young age, and I went with my auntie and grandfather, and they just went, what the fuck's going on with the monkeys? <laughs> By the
4: way, do you think if we watch The Shape of Water, we'll come around to it? Yeah, maybe. That? You never know, man. It happens a lot. It, it does happen. But just a quick side note. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but it's glorious. Um, a friend of mine got to 41 without ever having seen 2001. Knew nothing about it whatsoever knew that there were some spaceships and stuff had no idea about the famous cut from bone to space station Uh, and she was going through a bit of a kind of space cadet period of her life at that time and we sat in the front row of the Orpheum biggest screen ever watched that in 70 mil And the noise that she made when that cut happened was the most glorious noise I've Ah. ever heard in my life. Not knowing it was coming, but just snaps to the spaceship and she just let out this audible, (gasps) like this orgasmic moan of the universe. It was wonderful. Even people who aren't
1: really totally into cinema and don't even quite know... Mm. what terms are Mm. and i I would say that i'm into cinema but i'm not technically minded or anything but that jump cut is (sighs) like even people who don't really know go oh yeah that scene (laughs) that's so good (laughs) so this is where i'm going to as i said i think it's a movie that you just don't really need to think about just sit and Mm -hmm. enjoy it it's set piece after set piece it doesn't waste any time yeah and you can enjoy it on that level yeah Nolan's movies are often rooted in deep philosophical concerns that are at times ahead of the mainstream concern. Batman Begins was touching on terrorism. Terrorism, of course, was a, a topic at the time, but mm-hmm. the way he was dealing with it was just slightly ahead of the curve when Begins first came out. The Dark Knight on surveillance, and yes. personal liberty. Yes. Uh, Interstellar is about environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Dunkirk is about decency, which is kind of interesting mm. where we are election wise in 2020. Mm. There are some key words and moments in this for mo- in this movie for me and I'm going to share them with you because I think these, these are the deeper aspects of this film that if you want to engage with them, you can. First is the word posterity. The enemy is the future because they're so angry at how we have treated the world in the past. They're willing to try to destroy the past in the hope it can save the future. That's how bad the future is, yeah. that they are yeah. willing... To do whatever they can to try and save themselves, yeah, including
4: potentially and probably annihilating themselves. Absolutely, nope.
1: and I worry about the future and mm. what those generations will think of us, as you do. Mm. And was that a? What do you think about that as a as a general idea to be sitting in a in a major blockbuster film?
4: Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I think I I think I said to you the first time I saw it uh, when that. Uh, that motive got revealed of like, oh, it's the it's the future wanting to destroy the past. I remember being very confused by that. And then whatever, a couple an hour and a half into the movie, I need to go to the bathroom and I went. And when I came back, Kenneth Branagh was Wah! ranting. Uh, and I said to my friend, like, fuck, did he explain why the future's trying to destroy the past? And my friend's like, no, 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 no. Oh, uh, well, thank God! And then, about five minutes later, he reveals why the future is just. Dis- and it was like, oh, of course, that makes complete sense. Yeah. I completely resonate with that feeling that you know that, that the future, the, the the people of the future, if they exist in God knows what form, how could they not curse us? Yes, and for tens of thousands of years, you know, there's there, there's some poor fuck in ten thousand years going to stumble on our. Bar- barrels of toxic waste and not know what it is, you know? And th- 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 how, how do you even warn the future of, of how badly we've fucked up this place?
1: And once again, you know, that's such a... The the the, the moment when the prot- protagonist asks Neil, won't, mm. won't they destroy them? And he's like, well, this is what they believe. So that shows you how desperate the times are Yeah, in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, once again, that's not... That's not an uncommon thought, but that is not a mainstream movie no thought. That's that's what I'm talking about when yeah, yeah, I say yeah. these themes. Nolan often goes to the the issues once again like Bond movies. Like yeah. the Bond movies often reflected the anxieties of the time yeah. and dressed up in a Bond film. Yeah. And so I think he takes that to uh, the next level.
4: Yeah, I've, I've always thought that he takes the ideas that were very, um, in the stuff that we loved as teenagers, you know, Grant Morrison stuff, and yes. has mainstreamed it, and, uh, it's delightful. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, that, I know that's your delight in watching his movies as oh. well. For the fir- each one for the first time. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, like, I cannot believe. <laughs> I can't believe Interstellar's talking about wormholes and all time existing simultaneously. I've been thinking about this shit for years. For decades. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. For- yeah, yeah, yeah decades. And and, and and as you say, the same with Tenet, you know, especially of late, the last couple of years especially, just this real uh, despair about the state of the environment, the state of the world, you know, is it even fixable? Do we even have the will to fix it? Or are we all just so suicidal as a species that we're just going to plough it into the fucking ground?
1: And, and not to get too ahead, because we'll get to Kenneth Branagh's performance in mm. a second, but... People say that performance... There's, you know, the people who see it for what it is and then there's some people who criticise it as being Mm. over the top. Mm. And it's like, are you watching the election? Yeah. Are you watching? Yeah. Like, he's just just a physically more imposing Trump.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Of course.
1: Like, are you telling me if Trump could... Attach his heart to a kill switch that fucking destroyed the world when he died. Uh, he wouldn't do it.
4: Jesus. I, think so. I think Trump has blown any kind of, um, all that rhetoric of like, ah, oh, that'd never happen. I think that that is no longer a trope that we can well, rest our laurels on anymore.
1: That is the problem with creating works that are satirical and, uh, and mm-hmm. delve into the absurd when the real world is absurd.
4: Absolutely. How do
1: you satirise something that is... Oh,
4: absolutely. You can't even get ahead of it anymore. I
1: was reading a book, I can't think, uh, by DBC Pierre. Pierre, yeah. And uh, he was talking about a... In the book, he was talking about how he did a story uh, about the death penalty. Right. And he did all this research, and he had to leave a whole bunch of stuff out of his story because people just wouldn't have believed it. Mm. Things like... The judges who declare someone has to go to the chamber and has a little electric chair thing that they press in their office, or they hang oh, nooses from fuck. their ceilings, and they have parties to celebrate. And he was—he did all this research, it's and it's all true. Yeah. But he knew that if he put it in in this yeah. satirical novel, yeah, people yeah. would have gone, nah. Oh, totally. So sometimes you have to dial back the realism <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to make, make your satirical point. <laughs> About the That's one. the future of satire, <laughs> dialing everything back. <laughs> um, next point, early on in the movie, the scientist tells the protagonist, don't try to understand it, feel it. And the protagonist replies, instinct. Instinct, yes. This is a meta moment for me where Nolan is explaining to us how best to enjoy the film. First time I saw it, yeah. I went, yeah, okay, thanks. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And as I was telling you, it was like re-watching a spy movie from my youth and it was better than I remembered. And... Do you like these moments or does something like that take you out of the film? No,
4: it reminded me of um, the great moment in the um, Matrix, in the building jump. Yes. When Morpheus says, don't think you can, know you can. Right. Uh, and, you know, that is a fair. I mean, I, I think I understand what that means. I know what that would mean to me if I was in that position. But I like that it's, you know, got an ambiguity to it. Yes. That you kind of have to be uh, operating on that. Wavelength to really understand what he means by that, yeah, beyond just what the words mean. Obviously, it is funny. There's a spiritual meaning to that, and I think it's the same with um, it's. You know, don't try and understand it. Just. Just feel, feel it. it. And I was definitely yeah. sitting
1: there, and as soon as that happened, I felt yeah. my shoulders kind of yeah. lean back into the chair, and I was like, okay.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. And and, and that thing about instinct, you know, I mean, I, I, I know you and I are people that think about time a lot and how time moves and what time is and everything, but uh, that's definitely something I got more out of the second rewatch yes. in just kind of not thinking about how it was working, and then all of a sudden it did make sense. Right. Strangely. Okay, so...
1: We're going to do a little bit of Nolan jumping with this podcast, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to jump to the first three points in Squid Bits, so we can discuss this. So let's talk the word tenet and the Sator Square. The word tenet means a principle or belief, especially one of the main principles of a religion or philosophy. Mm -hmm. It is also a palindrome, which is how the script is designed. It flows forwards and backwards. Now, we're going to jump to the Squidbit parts, and I'm going to explain the Sator Square, which is an ancient Latin palindrome that anthropologists have been digging up in the ruins of Pompeii, Rome, England, Syria, and Sweden. It is a word square containing a five-word Latin palindrome that can be read in four directions. The five words are Sator, Arepo, Tenet, Opera, Rotus. The translation is believed to be about a farmer named Arepo and his plough. But because the square is often found in connection with churches and abbeys, there are some scholars who believe it is Christian in origin. If you rearrange the words into a cross, you get the words "Pater Noster, which means our father, with two A's and two O's, possibly signifying the Alpha and Omega, a Christian reference to God. Since early Christians were slaughtered and persecuted by the Roman Empire, this might have been a covert way to speak to one another without anyone knowing. This might not be completely correct as the Sator squares turned up in Pompeii which suggests the palindrome has older roots in Judaism. Others believed it is a reference to Greek or Egyptian deities and that it was intended to be used for incantations. A 19th century Pennsylvania's Dutch doctor's manual instructs people to inscribe the square in butter smeared on a piece of bread (laughs) and then to be eaten as a cure for rabies. Maybe the meaning has morphed over time depending on who was using it just like the Christians borrowed the fish symbol from the Greeks and Romans. The square is seeded throughout the movie. Sator is Branagh's character's name. Arepo is the Spanish art forger who makes the two Goya paintings. The first scene of the movie takes place at the opera and guards work for Rotor Security who tried to protect the Freeport where the art is kept without being taxed. So, getting back to Didn't know the... any of that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I told you Last night, when I was putting this all together, I said, I've, I've got some fucking great shit for you. <laughs> so with that in mind, this movie is his Sator Square. If we take into account all of his work, we see themes where Nolan links the mathematical and physical world to the metaphysical properties that make us human. Memory, love. Courage and belief. He's also fascinated with how these all relate to one another with the passage of time. In essence, his movies are about discovering emotion in a cold universe. For me, this movie is something that can just be enjoyed and just ex- experienced as a roller coaster yeah. ride. But personally, I think this is about the idea of faith and contemplation. And I think Nolan is speaking to us when. Robert Patterson's character, Newell, says that he has faith in the mechanics of the universe. If you entrust your life to the belief in the universe, that gives you a better chance of experiencing life than imaginary gods and spirits. But I don't think he's saying there's no magic in the universe. I think he's saying that there are still amazing things to discover if we trust the way the universe works. Mm, Very
4: good. Very good. (laughs) Very Yes, yes, yes. Uh, is there anything you want me to go back over?
1: No, no. I gave I'm, you I'm, a big info dump. I was when I put all of that uh, together, and that line did resonate with me, and I wasn't quite certain why. And then the I mechanics at, of the universe. Yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah. the Sator Square, and it's like, oh, you, yeah. you, everyone knows that this is, in many essence, a, a palindrome script, but I think it is. It's, an it's you know Sator what it Square. is. Yeah, you know yeah. what this is. All right. I'm glad you're sitting down. This is The Invisibles. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. the second volume. Yeah. It's, you know how The Invisibles is Grant Morrison's most personal work, yeah. but you can just read it as yeah. spies running yeah. around doing things, but then it kind of had that magical glyph aspect yeah, to it. Yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah, okay. I like that very much. You know that that tickles my uh <laughs> All Mate, the things that I'm into. I feel kind
1: of dirty <laughs> at recording us. Absolutely having almost a romantic relationship <laughs> at this point. I feel like that was the most romantic thing I've ever said to you.
4: <laughs> it definitely makes me want to go and watch the whole thing again. Within everything you just said, do you think that this would be the perfect final Christopher Nolan movie? In terms of, like, channeling all of his themes, all of his ideas well, into one little uh, Sator Square? Yeah, and and
1: I've got... And by the way... If anyone is listening to this thirty-seven minutes in and lying on the ground, going too many ideas, <laughs> we'll just get into the characters pretty soon. But uh, that's a really good question. I would. That that's what I mean. That weirdly, I think this movie has been building. His mm. his oeuvre has been building to this film, and in many
4: ways, if this was his last film, whew, it wouldn't be. A, it wouldn't be a bad last film. It's, it, it, yeah. it seems like a thematic, after what you just said, it seems like a thematically more uh, appropriate final film than Dunkirk would have been. Right, you know and interstellar, interstellar yeah, yeah yeah and yeah. I love interstellar. yeah but
1: this is this is a distillation of everything I love in in entertainment, something mm. I can just sit there and go they're bungee jumping up a building or that car's moving backwards or some of those people are moving forward and some of them are moving backwards and then I can sit there and I can dig into this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank God I'm single. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for whoever is the imaginary girlfriend who'd have to put up yeah, with yeah, yeah. thing. Like, at least I could just sit here by myself working all this stuff out going, oh, nice one. Have I can't wait to share it with yeah, them yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than saying, hey, babe, babe, guess what I just discovered? She's like, I'm trying to watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I don't even know why I'd date someone who was watching that. But anyway.
4: Can you help me blue-tack this mind map up on the wall, please? <laughs> but this like, do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fuck. Fuck yeah, no, it's great. I was so excited because before this
1: podcast started, well, you went and got a coffee and you were a bit, oh, I've got some thoughts. Oh, that's not my favorite. And I was like in my head thinking, I've got something that I'm going to fucking
4: put in your head. That's going to blow your mind. No, but it's great because it's enough that like, I can't quite wrap my, you know what I mean? Like I can't wrap my head around it in the moment, but it's en- like, same as Tenet, where it's yeah. like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and so if someone who
1: went and saw it and said, I don't want all of that stuff. I was ah, that's, Absolutely fair yeah, enough. Yeah, totally. Absolutely fair totally. enough. Totally. I'm just saying what I get out of it, yeah, yeah, and what yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that if you're on the fence about it, and you like this kind of stuff, and I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you do like yeah, this of kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I can help you find something extra to enjoy in it,
4: yeah, absolutely. Great, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, whenever you know, whenever there's stuff that is massively complex, it's really great this is the one thing I do love about kind of the culture that we live in of like, you know, fan theories and deep dives and everything is that um, I think it's that real democratisation of art where it's like it is given to the people to kind of own for themselves and find connections and make their own. Um, Well, that's what art should do, right? Yeah, absolutely. The,
1: you know, on, on a very small scale and I think we've talked about this in the past, when I did those three plays and deliberately worked in ambiguity Mm. and broader strokes in many ways Mm. and went against what comedy is defined by many times, which is a definitive punchline. Mm. I know that there were people who came to that show who just went, what the fuck just happened? But the people who it connected with, man, I had... I think I talked about uh, Corey Wright's girlfriend <laughs> or partner, wife, saying to me, oh, I thought it was about this. And while she was telling me everything she thought about it, I was like, what? I have no idea. And then I went back and I looked and I went, oh, you know what? I can see how she got that out of the work. Yeah, so
4: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and that kind of reaction is always much more gratifying than, you know, like a laugh or even someone laughing the whole way through when it really gets under someone's skin and they really yes. want to actually meditate on it rather than just uh, having it be an entertainment. It's part of my
1: issue in trying to find my way back into stand-up because it's, it's for me, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying every comedian is like this, but just, I feel like in Australia, it is fast food thinking. And you have a really good time. and mm, But there's... I just, I just want more. Yeah,
4: I think the audience wants more. I just think, well, a, a contingent of the audience want more. Yes, but you know that that, that that's often been a, a problem in mainstream Australian entertainment across the board. Yes, is that it's entertainment. It's not, you know. We, it's that whole thing. We don't have celebrities in this country. We've got personalities. <laughs> oh, yeah. And in Western Australia, they're called personalities <laughs> which is what they're called, which makes me laugh every time. Uh,
1: let's get into the characters. I'll let you th- sit on those thoughts for a yeah. while. When Tenet was announced, it came with the byline, Time for a New Hero. John David Washington plays the protagonist, mm. who has no other name. We learn that he works for the CIA on the siege at the opera. He goes back... And these these are the things that I think if you look for... Mm you kind of get an idea of this character. Mm. So we learn he works for the CIA. At the siege at the opera, he goes back to save the people who he refers to as being in the cheap seats. Yes. So he recognises it. That's his first reference. Yes. He dies, in inverted commas, to save his team. Yes. So we already know that he probably doesn't come from money we, or at least recognises people who doesn't, who don't come from money. He's got a strong moral background. He cares he, about humanity. He He quite clearly isn't rich. Because mm-hmm. there's the really, like, all of the stuff with Michael Kane, the way he's called, you know, he comes in and says he's going to meet up with his character, in you know, Sir Michael, and is like, oh, uh, uh, presume away. And then <laughs> I'll just order that food. Oh, can you bust it? You know, yeah, all of yeah, that yeah, yeah. is, and he's, it's the right type of anti-authority. Yes. And, and, and just one of the best lines in any Nolan movie where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't have a... Uh, you know, you're, 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 the English aren't the only people who can uh, control snobbery. And, okay. and Michael Caine <laughs> yeah, yeah, saying, yeah. but we have a controlling interest in <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. just all great. <laughs> um, but, you know, he points out that he's wearing Brooks Brothers clothes. Cat, immediately, yeah, you're wearing the watch, you're wearing that, but you, there's something about him that is not what not he's pretending money. to be. Yeah. So I think he doesn't come from money. He en- He really enjoys that yacht. When do you see someone just enjoying... Something like yes, that. Yes, that's true. It's like, a novelty. Like he's on the yacht, he go, he drives past them, gives them the finger, Hey! <laughs> and he's smiling, <laughs> he's having a good time, and but he also recognises a Goya painting immediately. Yeah. So even though this is Nolan's Bond movie, there is one incredibly important distinction that makes him specifically time for a new hero. Yeah. He does the right thing by Cat, not for romance, but because he lies to her about the painting and mm. he owes her, and he will do anything to protect her.
4: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. There what did is you a- think of the protagonist? Uh, I think that he is unbelievably cool. Uh, just seeing someone who is effortlessly confident in a leading man role without having to kind of do the nodding and the winking that is normally involved in that role is hugely refreshing. Uh, and, yeah, I think there is something to the fact that there is no romantic pursuit of... um, I can't remember, Elizabeth Dobrekke's character. Cat. Cat. Um, Yeah, that it does seem to be motivated. It's interesting. It's funny, because I picked up on all those things you said when I watched the movie, but when you sum it all up like that, it does indicate that he is a character that comes, maybe not from, you know, poverty, but definitely from working-class origins. Like, there's a... um, uh, an affinity for humanity, which someone who, which only someone who is going to create a future organization that travels back in time to save the world could have. Like it couldn't be someone from the upper, upper classes, you know, I think there's a reason that. Dot com billionaires are building underground silos for themselves when the world ends instead of just fucking saving the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. He is. Those motherfuckers could buy the Amazon rainforest, but they're not.
1: I wonder, uh, you know, talking about this... Oh, they could buy the fucking... Amazon, rainforest. The Amazon, the Amazon Amazon
4: rainforest. I've been saying this for years. Yeah. What are you doing, Bezos? Yeah. You motherfucker. Amazon, Amazon rainforest. reseed it. Done. And you get to name it. Totally. You've and you're the fucking great benefactor of the Earth that saved us all. Right. But no, nah, you're going to build fucking spaceships to get out of here. Right. Motherfucker.
1: Uh, but the protagonist, I think, is super cool. And mm. I just thought of this then. In many ways, this is the anti-Dark Knight. Because the villain... Is straight and the hero yeah. gets to be funny. Like, you know, yeah, that great right. moment yeah, yeah, yeah. where the villain, where Seidel says, I'm going to cut open your throat and stick your balls at that. And he's just a little bit like, that's complex. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, how yeah. do you want to die? Old. You know, like, he's yeah. just funny. The guy checks him up. Hey, where I'm from, you buy dinner first. Yeah, yeah You yeah. know, and have you slept with my wife yet? Not yet. And then when he's leaving, he fucking he gives kisses her. That kiss on the and the cheek. It's a very intimate kiss. It's a very intimate kiss, yeah. which is then repeated when she thinks she she might not see him again. Yeah. Also there's something that I really love about him mm. which is two things. One is he's a little bit confused all the way through cuz he's our eyes in and he's learning all the way through mm. the movie. So when you hit the end he has like he's defined It's his origin story yes. in
4: some ways. Yes, yes. Again kind of quite matrix-esque.
1: Yes, and and once again the prisoner. Uh yeah. you know where he's you see him quit in the credits and then suddenly he's just number six, Mm -hmm. you know? But the other thing that I like about him is that like he can fight, right? Like he runs a cheese grater down some dude's (laughs) face and the, the noises in this movie, the sounds like that train pulling up when he's having his teeth pulled out is the specifically the, probably the greatest noise that Nolan has ever used in a film to convey exactly what's yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. But there's also something a little bit and this is not a criticism, mm. there's something a little bit soft about him around the edges. He's no. not yeah, like, no,
4: no, no I mean no not a criticism. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you know a
1: you know when you watch the Bond movies, I think part of the problem that we have with them mm. is that he just looks like the kind of guy that we grew up not wanting to hang well, out he's a with. sociopath. But and just Awful. Yeah, and, license to kill. But like that sums it all up. But the protagonist, he isn't trying to sleep with Elizabeth DeBecky. Mm-mm, like he's, mm-mm. he's try. He uses her, and when she calls him out on it, he feels bad, and then he tries to make it up to her yeah. for the rest of the movie. Yeah,
4: yeah, 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 yeah. And, the way, and even the way he uses violence, it's in that very efficient way of it's not sexy. No, it's not uh, drawn out. No. It's dispatching people with clinical efficiency. Yes, which is what someone in that position would do. It's, you know, there's no, there's no great delight that he's taking in what he's doing. Again, which isn't something you often see in a Bond movie. There, you know, I'm not saying that Bond's like a psychopath grinning every time he kills someone, but you know, there is a lot of kind of uh, uh, delightful violence. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, but, you
1: know, also tough. Like, when he's got the gun up against who he thinks is the... Yeah. ...arms writer, You know, you're a,
4: you're an arms dealer. This might be the easiest trigger I've ever pulled. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. again, it's that thing of, like, the, the fact that it is dispassionate, that there's no enjoyment taken from it, that's much scarier. Yeah. You know, you're dealing with a robot at that point, like, you can't reason with this guy. You yeah. give him what he wants or he's going to blow your fucking brains out. Yeah. <laughs> and without the kind of, you know, the glib uh, pun. Also, one of the great, uh, for me, uh. Nolan moments
1: is when she says, you know, when he's giving her the phone and she says, "How? who's going to get it? And the way he just, like, he doesn't, he delivers it really soft and he says, posterity. Mm. And then that music drops. It, it's a very specific note mm. that kind of, I wish I knew more about music, but it kind of hits... And you go, oh, I've just had all these moments. That's a super cool moment. Mm. I think he's great, and mm. I really liked him in Black Klansman. Yeah, That's great. the only movie I'd seen before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very and funny in Black Klansman. Very really different funny. performance. Yeah. Really funny, but he's he's
4: got it going. In yeah, this yeah, film yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> when he comes in and he into the kitchen, I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> like he can deliver a line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his relationship with Neil, even though it's all over the place, yeah, they have some great moment totally yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. all right elizabeth de commands the screen as cat while she comes across as a victim she is very much the reason for her salvation in the end the woman who dives to freedom uh once again i love that she wasn't involved romantically with the protagonist mm. and it's more a relationship that ends up starts in an awkward place and ends b- being a one of mutual respect mm. uh how did you feel about cat
4: <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't care for the character particularly. Uh, I think that uh, maybe if I... And I think this is, this is where my cr- criticism of lack of obvious depth in the character yeah. or obvious character development in... Uh, I, I feel like... Basically, it's summed up by analogy with the reference to the sun. You know, like, this is the big kind of motivating thing in her life. My son, my son, my son. But the reality is you never even know the name of the son. You get one grab of the son going, Mommy, are we going to Milan this weekend? And then it's just my son, my son the whole time without me even knowing the son. You're giving me no cute moment with the son. I'm like, oh, what a cute kid. Yeah, I can see why you're fucking, you know, beyond the obvious of, like, a mother's love for the son, which is, you know, very clear. Um, But for me, I don't have enough love for the character in the movie to really be emotionally invested in the journey. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's fair enough. I yep. can understand that. Yeah.
1: But also, I'm just, you know, <laughs> come from a single mum background, so I understand that on a deeper level than you. So <laughs> No, no like I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. Well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do... It, it is weird that the son isn't named... Yeah, well, I don't remember hearing that. He, he doesn't... know. I really
4: listened out for it this time. Yeah. Because, like, I, I think I've said it to you, my, fa- like, my favourite unintentionally hilarious line of the entire film is when they're in the shipping container going, oh, yes, Sato's going to reverse time oh, and destroy yeah. the universe, yeah. and it cuts to her going, even my son? Like, yeah. Yeah, no, no, your son's exempt. What are you yeah. fucking talking about? Of course your son. Well,
1: in her defence, she has been shot with a bullet that's been inverted and it's not dying just yeah. of a bullet wound, but she's All also right. dying of radiation poisoning.
4: Even my son? No, your son's going to float in the void. Exempt. Maybe he would. Maybe he would. You,
1: maybe his name's Jesus. <laughs> oh, no, his name... Hang on a sec. I he reckon, doesn't have a name.
4: You barely see sec. his face. You only see his face once. It's like fucking the Inception children. You see his face once when he's
0: like, are we going to the parade in Milan, mummy?
4: Well, that's all part of the... Uh, that's all
1: part of the um, dreamlike quality for Inception, though, isn't it? Yeah.
4: Yeah, 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 and the thing is, and that's the thing that the, the kids in Inception uh, do it, that, that does work for me as like a kind of like ooh, mythological um, unseen thing, a goal to be attained, um, and also it resonates when they turn to camera at the end of the film.
1: No, his name's Max. Oh, Max. Yeah. All
4: right. All right. His name's Max. His
1: name's Max because there's a theory
4: that that he's. Robert Patterson's character. That he's
1: Neil, grown up.
4: Yeah, right. I've heard this on The Wind, but I have yeah. not thought about it enough to know that if it has any actual... Yeah,
1: so that just means that your, your whole point is invalid. Yeah, you know, you're His right. Max. You're right. No, he, right. And then he ends up on the Fury Road. Like, we know what happens. <laughs> no, but I, I do know what you mean. And I understand that. Like, all jokes aside, I do mm.
4: understand that. Give me one scene. Yes. Give me one fucking scene with the son and the mum just... Having a good time. Just for fucking just just for emotional resonance. Even even as an opportunity to slow the fucking movie down for thirty seconds, show me them you, loving each other, and then and then I'm invested.
1: Apart from Dunkirk, you mm. know that I will never argue against having more.
4: Non- I would have I would a a have movie. more of yeah. this, yeah, for yeah. sure. I would have more I would have more if it was a slowed down ninety second scene with every character. Just give me a little bit more meat. With each of them. Yeah. Maybe maybe not the protagonist, because I think, you know, it works for him to be this kind of, you know, ooh, man of mystery.
1: I think you get heaps with Neil. Yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. Toward, especially in the second half yeah. of the film. Yeah. Uh,
1: of course, Robert Patterson. No, Everyone no, knows how we're feeling about him. Guy. He can do no
4: wrong. He's the best. And th- I think this. Was the last time I saw it was the first time I appreciated how nuanced and different this performance in this movie is, I feel like he's doing a Christopher Nolan impression.
1: Oh, so that's funny, because one of my Squid Bits parts yeah. is he based it on Christopher Hitchens. On Hitchens? Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. But, you know, I do kind of wonder, because there is kind of a... You know how DiCaprio kind of is Nolan? and He's got the Nolan hair. And he kind of says the line at the end about the faith in the mechanics of the universe, which does feel like he's the proxy. Neil's great. And I think he's, I think it's a really great performance, but you do enjoy his performance more on the rewatch. Yes. Specifically the, uh, at the start of the movie, when he orders the drink for the protagonist and he says, you know, well, I have to be across everything, but they're old friends. And
4: that, that moment where he says, I I prefer soda. And the way he looks and says, No, you don't. Yeah, and I noticed this time that uh, the protagonist, and I'm reading into this, it's not implicit in the text, but he, there's like a knowing smile from the protagonist, and it's like, it's not that he knows that he knows Neil, but it's almost like there's a shimmer in the space-time continuum where he kind of intuitively remembers that he knows this guy. There's an instantaneous... Connection between them that is not um, normal, considering that they've just met in the middle of Mumbai and they're two operatives. Well, the thing is, is that for
1: the whole movie, he's freaking out because, like, he literally gets picked up to be in tenant. Mm. Like, he dies. Yeah. He gets picked up to be in tenant, yeah. then goes and sees a woman who won't tell him what's going on. Yeah. And then he meets up with a guy who seems to know more about yeah. him. That's why it's funny, there's the points where he's, just before he goes and, and inverts himself to go back in time where he's actually angry because now, who's this Ives guy that yeah, you brought yeah, in? Yeah, like, yeah, what yeah, do you yeah, mean yeah. there's a backup? Yeah. But then the moment that they properly you know, you've seen the little bonding in the, in the uh, hotel room where he says, you know, if you were to uh, I've seen too much, you know, all of that stuff. But the moment that they properly bond as friends is yeah. the moment when they've just saved her life and they're driving away from the, the plane
4: exploding. Yes. And... Oh, and they um, high-five each other.
1: Well, yeah, kind of, you know, were the people that saved the world from the bomb that they never knew was going to go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of the bonding moment of the totally. friendship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But,
4: I, but I did get the... I, I, I feel like there's a... I don't know. There's a resonance maybe. there early yeah. on. Like, and, and you know, I, this is me projecting well, my own things onto it. Well, but, it's like, um, if there's...
1: And we'll get to this later if there's a bullet hole it has to happen and if it's a friendship it has to happen so he's but he's definitely trying to work things out like the whole time mm. it's yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. also uh, i kind of like that scene when they first meet as well because god it looks fucking hot there doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it looks yeah, really yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, you can yeah. you can feel yeah. the
4: patterson is shiny <laughs> oh i know it's such
1: a <laughs> such a full-on moment are oh, you do kind of have these different uh, reactions to the different set pieces don't yeah, you yeah, yeah. but patterson is so, so he's the movie good.
4: star of our age for a long time i thought it was tom hardy it's fucking patterson man yeah what a legend
1: is he your favorite character in the movie oh yeah of yeah, course yeah, bit, you know like i'm biased he's my favorite yeah. robert
4: patterson's my favorite character in any robert patterson movie <laughs>
1: yeah um Kenneth Branagh is the complete opposite of his last Nolan role. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, the complete opposite. Yeah, what a,
4: what a delicious role to play. I
1: know some people think he is one note, but I'd argue that he is pitch perfect for the movie.
4: Yeah,
1: and you know it's a Bond me, villain. Yeah. yeah, and now that we've kind of thought about it, and he's the it's the opposite to the Dark Knight, yeah. where he's just playing the one note, and yeah. also. If he wasn't one note, I don't know if when he gets pushed off the boat, it would have been a satisfying, that clunk noise.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And the the, the very obvious neck break. It's really nauseating. It's really (laughs) full on. But there's a part of you that goes, yeah, Yeah. but... uh, Well, I I, I think the plan is so over the top and, you know... I think it's the most outlandish thing of all the, including all the time jumping and everything. That a guy's got a fucking device yes. attached to his heart. And like, it's very like 60s bond. Yes. You know, when I die, the world goes with me. Yes. <laughs> he has to be like Shredder or Dr. Claw or yes. whatever. Like, he has to be. And I also think there is,
1: like, I've. Like, once again, maybe we're projecting, but yeah. I do think there's humour in the way he's performing. Oh, yeah, like, course. it's really funny when yeah, he's yeah, talking yeah. about how he's going to choke him to death with his own balls and doesn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Though I tell you what, that close up, because you kind of weirdly. Uh, I just don't think you see that many movies with full close ups of faces when he's yelling at Elizabeth DeBecky. Oh, yeah, that yeah. is yeah. absolutely terrifying. Yeah,
4: he's finding something in him. Yeah, black the lack of lips is
1: terrifying. That
4: close, <laughs> I think it's also uh, it's that it's that it's in that great tradition of um, you know a great actor playing against type. Yes, uh, and you know I've seen Kenneth Branagh be you know unhinged or extreme, but I've never seen him like just pure evil. Yeah, uh, and it is terrifying because you have an idea of Kenneth Branner in your head. Yeah, um, it's fun seeing
1: him off the yeah, back yeah, of Dunkirk great. and then watching this. Yeah, and going, it's great. Oh, yeah. Uh, I also love. I think you pronounce his name. Himesh
4: Patel or is it Himesh Patel? Is he the guy that uh hijacks he, the plane. Yeah. yeah, he's great. He's very funny. Cool, yeah, too. he reminds me of Tom Hardy in Inception. Just that yes. very understated, completely like when they're like, what about the uh what about the people on the plane? They'll be fine. They'll be fine. Yeah. Like it's so oh, dismissive. Yeah. <laughs> what he would what, yeah, what are you know nobody on the plane
1: we will throw the yeah. we'll, oh when he's talking about throwing the pilots. Yeah, the pilots. On. They'll yeah, be they'll fine. be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's great. Add Aaron Taylor Johnson's Unrecognizable. Ives. Oh to think.
4: that's kick-ass. Yeah, uh, he's
1: Ibs is a fascinating character. This is some cowboy shit. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I also though think uh, Dimple Kapadia as Priya. I think that's how you pronounce her name as the the arms dealer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she, I think that's a great performance as well. Yeah, I think she's very she M-like. Ah, uh, and. Just so tricky. Mm. Like the whole thing's so tricky. Is, uh, is there any other characters that stand out or have we pretty much covered?
4: I think all the others are just, you know, like uh, Sato's goon. Yeah. Uh, the the no. guy that
1: helps Mahir when he just steals the gold bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. <laughs> pockets one. <laughs> did, you notice the, did you notice the ambulance leaving yes. and coming? Yes, 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 in yes. that scene? That's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, when the protagonist says to Michael Caine, thank you, Sir Michael. Did you read anything extra into that? Because Michael Caine's eighty-seven years old. Is this possibly?
4: Oh yeah, it could be. It could like be, it felt uh... like
1: the way it shot as well. It's like yeah, it's like the protagonist is looking at us, and I was just there was just this little. It, the First time I watched it, I had a little bit of a chill because it's like, oh yeah, Michael Caine's old.
4: A little in memoriam moment pre- before the fact.
1: Well, you know, like maybe he's just like by the. Nolan takes two or three years to make a movie, and yeah. like even if like I am not saying Michael Caine's anywhere near. No, but, no, anything, definitely. but it's just yeah. yeah it was kind of a slightly moving moment for <laughs> me uh, but it's, it's set it's said with such joy as well yeah for a character for two characters I've just met and yeah, also yeah, and, yeah. also his last bit is telling him to get going because he knows that he's upset the maitre d yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, really yeah. funny yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing um many set pieces in the movie yeah uh the opera siege the bungee jumping the truck heist into the car chase The plane crash backwards and forwards, the ending. Uh, Do you have a favourite scene?
4: I think the Opera House is my favourite one. It's probably the most understated one, but uh, I was... Like, my legs were going during that scene, like, bouncing up and down. (laughs) And I think it's just a... um, It reminded me of... I mean, it's a more intense version of the opening of Dark Knight, where you get that just 30 seconds of nothing and then boom, here yeah. we go, and you're fucking... You know, the roller coaster has left the station oh. and you can't get off.
1: Well, even the sound of the instruments yeah. tuning yeah, up yeah, yeah, yeah. set your teeth on yeah, edge, yeah, yeah, which yeah. was obviously done deliberately. And then the first guy that comes in, you're like, is that
4: Bane? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is happening <laughs> Yeah, 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 here? yeah. I think that is uh, my favourite. Um, and, you know, surprising because it is probably the most understated one. Uh, and then probably after that, I, I really enjoyed the car chase. The reverse car chase, when yes. all the pieces start coming back together. Yeah. Very good. So cool. Yep. Let's explain three
1: ideas about the movie to help people unravel their thoughts on it. Uh, I was reading Den of Geek, and they actually, actually uh, summed this up the best. I'd Mm. written something that was way more complicated and then this made more sense. So entropy can be described as a measurement of how much information is needed to describe a system. The second law of thermodynamics states that the amount of entropy can only increase. In Tenet entropy can be inverted which means less information is needed to measure a system and instead of a result of disorder you end up with order. Mm. An example, if you want to reverse the entropy of a cheese grater, the cheese would go back through the grater and reform into a solid block. With that in mind, Sator wants to find the pieces of an algorithm that were made solid and hidden in the past, which when combined will invert the entropy of the world and destroy it. Since he has he, ha- he has a terminal in- illness, he has a dead man switch, so when he kills himself, he takes the world with him. Mm. There's nothing really. That, that's pretty straightforward, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like, with that, from that For explanation. And is, yeah. yeah. But that, that makes sense.
4: Yeah, explain that to my mum and that's not straightforward. Oh, no, yes. I know. But I,
1: I, was, I was talking more about my explanation, yes. right? Uh, or And with the help of Den of Geek. Like, the cheese grater, uh, I looked at that and went, oh, I was trying to work out how to... Describe that And I was like Yeah the cheese grater Is Well I was perfect. explaining it
4: To a kid the other day tenant, And uh, he said Would that be like If there was a piece of poo In the toilet And it went back Into your bum And I was like Yep exactly You got a oh, kid Take that den of <laughs> geek That kid nailed it That would be The most depressing shit ever
1: <laughs> But he nailed it He yeah. just like completely Got it straight up <laughs> Well kids just do Kind of get stuff Don't they We're, we're, we're all guilty Of overthinking things Um The temporal pincer movement is where half the soldiers are moving forward in time and gaining information in the city that the other half are using to move backwards through time. They know that the bomb goes off, so that's not going to change. So that is why Ives and the protagonists have to find the algorithm alone, destroy it, and then are meant to die there so nobody will ever know where it was buried. This is also what Kat does. She goes back to Sator. When she jumps off the boat and sees herself, she doesn't realise she has inverted entropy. What was once broken is now whole. Uh, uh, She's now whole. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
4: kind of. This is the part where my, my, my head starts to fall apart during the siege. This is the this is where my uh, understanding of what is happening uh, breaks apart a bit. So,
1: time moves forward, yeah. and there's the blue team. I think it's the blue, or the red team. The red team. The red team are
4: the one that the protagonist is in. Yeah. Yes.
1: So... They have a plan. Uh-huh. The plan is based on what the blue team has already done. Sure. Which is all happening at the same time. Yeah. Yep, 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 like yep, it yep. looks like it's happening at the same time. Yes. So the reason the red team knows where the bomb is is because the blue team have already experienced that.
4: Okay. Yep. And the blue team are moving backwards through forward moving time? Yeah. So they're,
1: okay. so they're, And so they're gaining the information which they then pass on and they're having to do it all at once yep. because nobody can find the algorithm. Right. And that's why they're meant to... That's why Ives is going to shoot them because if they die, blue team and red team don't know where the algorithm is so then the secret would go with them.
4: Uh-huh. But, uh-huh. Okay, got but, it. But, yep. Yep. Got it. Yep.
1: And then that's also... But that's also what Kat does. We meet her at the start and she's damaged. hmm But she gets inverted, goes back. So you... Personally, Mm. she does what the she's a micro version of the macro action scene because remember, she says, I saw that woman jump off, and I wish I could have Mm. been her because she had all that freedom. Well, she is the cause of her own freedom, and she becomes whole. Okay, when she jumps off.
4: Okay, can you answer me two logistical questions? Yes, I'm happy to do this off mic if you would rather. Are they personal questions? No, no, I was joking. Yeah, no, ask me now. (laughs) Okay. They make a big deal out of if uh, Kenneth Branagh's character dies, the bomb goes off. Yes. Why doesn't the bomb go off when he dies? The bomb does go off. But, it, but they not, get the algorithm. But the, they get the algorithm out, right? Yeah, that's what they have to do because the. But the bomb's still counting down, right? So the bomb was going to go off anyway. Yes. And then but he they do- had to
1: get the algorithm because the algorithm was going to get buried. Okay. Which, so then it was found in the future, which would then allow them to... Right, 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 Okay, all right, yeah. all right, all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
4: I'm, no, no. I, I feel like people did when they watched Inception, where it's like, yes. I kind of get it, but yes. now... Okay, I understand. By okay. the way,
1: this is why if someone says, uh, as a criticism, this is just too much for me, that's why I
4: say, nah, but that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but this okay. is in my wheelhouse. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Second question. Yes. I know that Kat says when she's explaining that day that she pulled up on the boat and she saw the woman diving off, yes. this is when she's describing it earlier in the movie, yes. that uh, Kenneth Branagh's character disappeared after that. Yes. But he doesn't because... He does. What timeline are they operating on then? Because she meets John David Washington's character after she says she oh, no, saw that No, but she's happen. saying he,
1: he... No, 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 she saw him again. He didn't yeah. disappear forever. Yeah. He just disappeared that day.
4: Oh.
1: So she gets back and the woman jumps off and he's disappeared. That she doesn't mean she never saw him again. He's not on the boat. So what the fuck just happened? That woman left and right, he's gone. Right right, right, right. But now we know
4: the reason he disappeared is because she killed him. But then but then as time moves forward, he's going to meet John David Washington in a couple of days from then. So how can he if he's dead?
1: Because that's the first, that's the part of time moving forward. Like that Timeline doesn't match up. Yeah, because he like because his time is
4: still forward. Right. Okay. So fuck my head hurts. Yeah. No. 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 I yeah, get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Also,
1: in case anyone's wondering, why are they sometimes wearing masks and sometimes they're not? You have to wear the mask while you're yes. travelling backwards through time, but then once you get to the point when you're now moving forward through time, when you go back through the thing, you can take the mask off. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Need to see it again. Spend a lot of time alone. <laughs> Um, so Neil is from the the beginning of the movie in a temporal pincer movement that is all about the protagonist. He is moving back through time to make sure the events take place that allow the protagonist to not only save the day but create Tenet. Yes. He then recruits Neil and they have many adventures together yet at the end, because they've seen his dead body come back to life, he knows that he has to respect the laws of the universe and go back in time to that moment for everything to play out the way they do. Thus the end of the friendship for Neil is the beginning for the oh, protagonist. Yes, but yes, that yes. feels like the easiest part to explain.
4: Yes. Well, uh, that, that, that's a trope that's come up in many uh, Grant Morrison comic books. Yeah, it feels like Characters- a Doctor Who moment, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, the In Doctor Who, in the David Tennant series, you met a character called Riversong and it turned out that they had all these adventures but she was meeting him for the last time yeah. and he was meeting her for the first time yeah, yeah. so you know like the, the doctor's been around for centuries and she's looking at, at David Tennant who at that point is the oldest doctor she's saying oh my god you're so young <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and he's great. like what? Yeah, great. It makes no sense um what did you think of the uh, David Lynchian moment where the past and the future are talking to each other with the back? It really looping. is right. Yeah, it yeah. felt like Twin Peaks. Yeah, right? it
4: really did. And and, and the extreme blue, red, and um, yeah, that was that was a real brain fizz moment, especially the first time. You know, when I couldn't quite understand what the fuck was even going on. Yeah. My, my brain was like physically hurting.
1: Yeah, mm. and the cause and effects are always at play. You know, just to go mm. through the time, you have to like before they go to go through, they have to make sure that they see themselves. And, like, once again, I've, like, a really very basic character, but he gets that great line of, you know, how will we know? Oh, see for yourself. Yeah. Turns around, looks, sees it. Oh, okay, we'll be fine. Uh, The side mirror's already cracked, so therefore that has to happen. Yeah. Uh, Oh, the side side mirror mirror on the
4: car. I noticed that this time, yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, the first time I
1: saw it, I saw the cracked mirror and I was like, does that, oh. Yeah. Like, I got really excited. Yeah. Uh, and there are also holes in the glass, so a gun has to be fired. Like yeah. it has to be fired, yeah. even though it is him fighting himself. He's they're there. Yeah, it's cause and effect. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like the bullet. You had to put your hand there for it to drop. Yeah. So when I first saw, by the way, only a few more questions. Uh, only three more questions. When I first saw the movie, I thought it was Nolan setting up a new franchise. Uh, regardless of how you see the box office numbers, I'm now wondering if I do want to see any more. So the reason... So I was really pumped. I was like, well, if we get two more Tenant movies yeah. and we see... And it finishes with him recruiting Neil, yeah. I'll be totally into that. And I'm not saying I'm not into that. Yeah, But I know the movie that had the biggest effect on a young Nolan was Star Wars. And Star Wars starts off in the middle of the story mm-hmm. and wasn't star wars i don't know more fun when there weren't prequels or sequels and we discussed like remember oh you know there's nine like i remember those conversations yeah, and, yeah, as yeah, kids yeah, and, yeah. and thinking about it and there's so many juicy lines that possibly hint at more at more of their adventures. Like Neil yeah. at one point early on in the film asked the protagonist if he would take a woman hostage or a child. And does that mean at some point in the future he did have to make that choice? Mm. Do we, but do we even need that answer? Is there something kind of beautiful if this is like Inception, this one off movie that takes place within a world of adventure that we never see?
4: Yeah, it's, it's one of those deals where it's like, you know, uh, I would gladly watch more. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, similar to The Matrix. You know, sure, I'd love to see what Neo, Neo does next. Turned out to not be that gratifying. Yes. We could have just done with the first one, but I don't begrudge two and three for existing. I'm glad they're around. You can, you can pretend they don't exist. and yeah. you, can, you know, it's not like, you know, they just released the second film in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and you're dropped into the middle of a right. complex story going, what the fuck, who are these? But like, it's self-contained enough right. that you don't need more. But sure, if there was more, uh, yes, yeah. you know, like Matrix Four is supposed to come out next year. It's completely unnecessary. I'll be there. Oh. of course, I'll be there.
1: I reckon I like seventeen percent of the Star Wars universe, but I still went and saw it. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's pretty audacious to make such a big movie and not have any obvious stars in the film. Like, mm. there's actors that we love. Mm. Uh, I think this works for the movie. Yes. Uh, can you imagine anyone else in any of the roles?
4: No, I like. I like. Um... I think that the uh, I think it's also outlandish and crazy that you need um, you need grounded actors that don't have like kind of super megastar status distracting yeah. from you know I think you need something anchoring you
1: yeah and for the final time yes on our
4: Nolan rewatch yes
1: would you like to have seen this as a TV series
4: no no, no it's a big movie it's a big movie it's a big movie yeah. You know that if they did this as a TV series, there'd have to be a lot of, you know, semi-dodgy CG, a lot of green screen. You no and I thanks. would be
1: sitting here, and you would be yeah. complaining. I don't need any more scenes of cat with fucking Max.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I get it. They love each other. Okay, Jesus, Jesus fuck.
1: <laughs> Let's get to the squid bits. We can jump through the past the first three, which we've already done. Just like tenant costume designer Jeffrey Curlin, who previously worked on Dunkirk, said that his initial designs for Debecki's character was fashionable, Mm. like she was showing off her wealth, and Nolan had him go back and redesign because she came from an unhappy marriage. Mm. So her clothes couldn't suggest she was enjoying the wealth. So Curlin went back to her roots and English Rose with a conservative style, and her clothes represent how closed off to the rest of the world she is. And you think mm, about those high necks mm, and all of that. Everyone's uh, very constricting. Also, once again, like, a, a, no gratuitous scenes of her in a bikini or anything no. like that, no. you know. I like that. No. Um they also decided to lean into how tall she is by placing her in heels. I think she's, like, 6'3", and mm. John David Washington's 5'7".
4: Yeah, again, you know, like a, an, an unconventional choice for this type of movie. Yeah, Ugh. it's
1: it's such a weird thing to say, but it was one of the first things I noticed in the film, and I was like, oh, like there's there's two moments where I've noticed people's heights, yeah. and one time it didn't work for me, and that was when I saw Solo, and I know how small Amelia Clark is, and then Alden Heinrich and uh Donald glover are standing next to each other next to paul bettany and it's suddenly like is this the muppet baby star wars like everyone's <laughs> tiny but this one was like oh what a pleasing yeah shape that just kind of takes you out yep. of the movie in a, in a good way yep. um so yeah placing her in a heels gives her a physical statement that visually makes her stand out amongst the cast mm. Since there were shots in reverse or shot forward and then reverse, Curlin would have to take into account how the costume would move with the wind. So some of the jackets were lined with a cardboardy tight lining so it remained slightly stiff and didn't right, fold back. Right, right. Such a small thing. Yeah. That- Sator sends his son to Pompeii, which is also the oldest location of the Sator Square. Uh-huh. Some of the dialogue and choreography had to be learned in reverse for certain scenes. Branar had to learn to speak his lean uh, his lines backwards in a Russian accent.
4: <laughs> Great!
1: <laughs> no wonder there's not much more to it. Fuck, he's doing enough already. <laughs> Uh, Robert Patterson was inspired by the late British journalist Christopher Hitchens for Mm. the character Neil. No green screen used in the movie, not a shock. Really? Not one? No. Wow. Nolan has been working on the idea of the movie for 20 years Uh and started writing the script six years ago. Right. I'm always fascinated by that. It's one of the things I've noticed that living in the world of stand-up for so long, Mm. and I... And... Specifically, Australian stand-up, where there is just this thing that is ingrained in you. When you start, you have to write a new show every yeah. year. And if I could have, if I could invert myself and go back in time, I would have written a show every two years. But yeah. it also does affect your numbers because because the audience is conditioned to yeah. think Expect that way. That, yeah. They oh, where were you? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But anyway, that was a real plane crashed. People probably know that. But the reason they crash a real plane was Mm. it was actually cheaper than using miniatures (laughs) (laughs) that's insane (laughs) that's insane right (laughs) the working title of the movie was merry-go-round uh-huh very good would you have seen no, Christopher no, Nolan's no, Merry-Go-Round? I mean, yeah. if you put his
4: name on anything, I'll see
1: it. But... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would have seen it. It was just a Merry-Go-Round going forwards and backwards. And Nolan there saying, if you watch it, it's moving forward. But when I do this, it's going backwards. And now their thoughts are still moving forward. I'd say,
4: genius, uh, I've just looked
1: right into this and I've seen that you've explained the universe to
4: me. <laughs> through a harsh, blue-lit Merry-Go-Round. <laughs> oh, yeah. Geez,
1: the uh, cinematography is unbelievable yeah, yeah, in this yeah. film. Yeah. Like the... Catamaran yeah. scene is just such an. That w- that would probably be in many ways the scene that I could do without. But mm. I also know that is his big Bond kind oh, it of. It looks good. It looks so Come good. On. It's amazing, and the music oh, yeah. is whew, mm. great. The movie cost two hundred and five million to make, which is a massive budget for a film that doesn't have brand name recognition mm. or any major yeah. box office stars. Yeah. Kip Thorne once again provided help on the science of the film. Debecky had the character written for her after Emma Thomas, Nolan's wife, saw her in Widows and insisted that Nolan rewrite Cat to suit her.
4: Really? this yeah. is fucking great. What a fucking great underrated movie Widows is. Yeah, you know what? I have not seen Widows. Oh, but... man. I'll watch that with you any night. That's oh. a great flick. Steve it... McQueen, come on. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's great.
1: It was you know there's just some movies that you are ready to see yeah. and then you just get a bit busy and yeah. then you go, oh, it's gone. I, I missed that. Yeah. Some actors audition using scripts for The Matrix and Westworld. Ah, uh-huh, right. So no, Nolan usually screens movies for the crew to get them in the headspace, but this time he wanted to work on the memory of what makes a great spy film. I did not know that uh-huh. before I did this little bit of research, uh-huh. but that kind of aligns with both our reactions to... Yeah. It's sitting in the back of the subconscious in a way. The mega yacht is named Planet Nine and has a helipad, hot tubs, pools, several floors and was insured for $100 million and the carpets in two rooms were worth a collective million.
4: Rich people are fucking awful.
1: Yuck. (laughs) Just, come on, relax. That's one of the... Uh, what what does she say? We spend $11 on a holiday. Where'd you go? Mars? (laughs) Vietnam. And that's one of the giveaways that he doesn't really know anything about money.
4: Mm -hmm. The film... Hit Mars for $11 million. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
3: (laughs) It's such a funny line.
1: The movie was filmed in seven countries, Denmark, Estonia, India, Italy, Norway, the United Kingdom and the United States. Uh, All places none of us will be
4: visiting. for a very long time. (laughs) Very long time.
1: Yeah. Do you like the view from your balcony, Hamo? Yes, I do. Thank goodness for that.
4: <laughs> it's, it's, it's about time to start exploring Australia, I think, given the yeah. current travel conditions.
1: Yes. I've been lucky, actually, and I think about this often when I get a bit down about, or not down, but just get a bit exhausted at the stand-up world. I've been very lucky oh, and yeah. I, to say that because of stand-up, I have been to Caratha and Port Hedland and to Alice Springs yeah, and yeah, to yeah. Townsville and it's, it's given me an opportunity to yeah, yeah, yeah. see Australia and it's one of the things that you should always keep in mind when um, being a bit frustrated with mm-hmm. things. But I also, it would be nice to be able to go to some of these places and not have to think about how I'm going to do the yuck-yucks later on. <laughs> uh, composer Ludwig Gorenson incorporated Nolan's own breathing as part of the score for Sator, uh-huh. uh, particularly, I, I really like the music. Uh-huh. The two scenes that I feel that it's kind of stunning are when he's in the windmill. Like oh that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, gentle yeah. and so beautiful. But holy shit, the music when they catch the they catch the the truck with the wool of the <laughs> yeah car. yeah yeah. Like what a hell of a scene as yeah, well. Like yeah. this, this is. I wonder if Nolan is starting to become a victim of his own technique because it's like, you know how we talked about with The Dark Knight Rises, how it's like, why does nobody ever really talk about that opening plane scene? Mm-hmm. And in this, like, that is such a propulsive scene. Yeah. And, and the music is unbelievable. It's yeah. kind of got this going backwards and it's kind of, it's dirty. Yeah. Yeah. The movie is kind of beautiful and in many ways dirty. Often, like, you know, they look sweaty in yeah. India. They look, you know, the music has a, a grittiness to yeah, it. Yeah. I've listened to the soundtrack a bit. I I put on my noise-cancelling headphones while I was doing some housework. Oh, and I gosh. don't know if you've noticed, but that <laughs> house is so clean because that music was so intense. I'm just like, I'm going to fucking clean everything. <laughs> um
4: is there, do we do we know why Hans Zimmer didn't do I it? I think he was working on something
1: else, but okay. you know, and I've loved all of Hans Zimmer, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I think this music is yeah, no, great. great, and yeah. I think he used a different editor, a film editor, and Nolan said, "Hey, just before we start, this is going to be fucking painful mm. for mm. you." So, but the editing is great, and mm. whew. two more things. Tom Cruise saw the film and posted on Instagram a video writing the following caption, big movie, big screen, loved it. And I saw the video of him in the cinema. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Tom Cruise is all right. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, I, I'm, I'm easily won over. <laughs> oh, totally. I'm so glad he <laughs> If is. he said that the only thing that would have made this movie better is David Bowie, I'd say, well, how do you sign up to Scientology? <laughs> like, let's do it. Let's do it. Come on, Xenu. <laughs> and finally, Tenet is Nolan's 11th movie, yes. which is appropriate since they're two ones. Oh, very
4: each other. good. Well, this has been that so much fun. That, right? Fuck, 11 movies.
1: Yep. I've had so much fun doing this with you. Mm-hmm. I've had. I, I feel like. I, I hope everyone that's been listening has not only enjoyed it as entertainment, but have also maybe found new things yeah, in the definitely. movies. Like I found. I have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are there any kind of closing thoughts I know we've been recording for a while but
4: no not really I think uh, I think you know there's no one I would rather do a deep dive on Nolan films than with you right thank and you. Uh, it's been fucking great right. it has
1: been romantic hasn't it this one <laughs> everything comes to an end well,
4: it's, uh, it's one of those great things where it's like you know Nolan uh, you know I probably watch if not all of his movies then you know Probably more than half, I I would rewatch anyway every year or two. Yes. So to be able to do it with an actual purpose in mind has been really rewarding. I feel like and to actually watch them with an eye rather than just having them on because whatever. Like I, oh, I feel like Batman tonight.
1: Yeah, and also, especially for people listening, trying mm. to find new ways to 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 keep you interested and in finding mm. new ideas and new thoughts and new ways mm. into the films. Mm. It's been nice. To have the feedback from everyone who's been listening people pointing out stuff that we haven't seen which is really exciting and you know like i hope with this stuff with tenet as well like i know it's a a full-on experience in a full-on year where we have a lot of emotions going on and it's it's a challenging time yes and i hope that regardless of how someone experienced the film I hope that we found some new things to, even if you don't necessarily want to see the film again, it gives you just some new things to think about.
4: Well, everything you said today just makes you want to go and see it again. And right. I'm glad it's coming out on Blu-ray in December. Well, you know how I feel
1: about Christmas, so <laughs> you're getting an invite, Ben Elwood, and we can sit here. We'll hold hands, we'll watch yep. Tenet. And... Uh, and I just can't wait for you to now that I've blown your mind with all the Seattl Square stuff turned around and go. Oh my god, this is his Morrison well, movie. You know,
4: there's that, and then also you were just ex- you know giving me a little uh, bit of uh, info about the final twenty minutes uh, makes it make a lot more sense. So yeah. in that sense, I'm you know, and that's what I said right at the beginning. You know, it might not be my favorite, but I definitely am keen to explore it many more times. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, thank you very much. We've got the Christmas show. Oh, either. Yes. You know, in Nolan-esque uh, style, you've either seen it or it's coming up. Yeah. Depending on when this podcast comes out, yeah. we've been trying to push it back so people are going to the cinemas in Victoria yes. now. So we've been trying yes. to be very kind and yeah. stagger our our listens. And uh, you know, next year we'll we'll start Sophia Coppola, oh, and yeah. cool, I man. feel like that will be a. A lot more relaxing. than Yeah, it'll definitely be a down. tonal shift.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you to Rachel Melanta for all her work from abroad and also to Ben Elwood on the Christopher Nolan rewatch. That's it. We're done. We essentially started with, well, not his first movie, but... You know, in Memento we we saw a gun firing backwards and we finished with a movie where we saw a bullet moving backwards as a wall reforms. It's been a fun rewatch and I've really enjoyed it and I hope you've really enjoyed it as well. There might be some of the movies that you're not quite as into, but hopefully we found a way for you to get into it, maybe enjoy them in a way that you haven't before. And if you already were a fan, hopefully we found some new things for you to discover. We discovered new things. That's always really exciting. That's what we're always trying to do here on Big Squid. Next season, we'll be delving into Sophia Coppola's work. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that in the new year. You know, there was a lot of talk about maybe David Fincher or... There was a part of me that actually wanted to do Wes Anderson, etc. But you know what? It is a sausage forest out there and Coppola's work is fantastic so let's uh let's get into her stuff and I haven't seen some of her movies as well so it'll have a slightly different feel to the Nolan rewatch and I think that will uh, keep things kind of moving along and progressing and, and just give a slightly different texture to season 4 of Big Squid Uh, Also, remember, if you'd like to read Chris Gooch's graphic novel Under Earth, I'll leave a link at our Big Squid Facebook page for you to find it easily. One last reminder, I will be in Adelaide for my last gig of the year at the Rhino Room on the 18th of December, 7pm. Head to adelaidecomedy.com for more details. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts and pencil in Valentine's Day for our next live show. The ideas are bubbling away. I won't tell you anything yet. But anyway, it'll be fun. It'll be fun like our, our FOMUS show. Uh, you can keep up with what is happening with the podcast over at our Facebook page. And if you're looking for some extra stuff from me, like some short stories or blogs, you can go over to my site at justinhamilton.com.au. Let's finish with a quote from Kenneth Brenner. In the hands of a great poet, words have ways of affecting us in ways we don't understand. Until then.